This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. It's the beginning of the end. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. As the intro stated, it is the beginning of the end. I believe that was also the tagline for this movie. I think so. Would make sense. Yeah. I, I believe it would fit very well. Uh, and I believe it was. This is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Uh, next week will be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. There's not a in-between intro or prequel episode, which mm. there normally is. We're skipping it and just going right into it. We got all the prequel out in the last episode. So back to back, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows to finish the series up for now. Oh, it's been a journey. It has been a journey. Uh, we mentioned we are going to do a special episode uh, discussing some of the more problematic elements of Harry Potter. We'll see when that comes out. Sometime before yeah. Christmas is the, is the plan, but that'll be a standalone episode that doesn't fall into the normal rotation. After this, we're getting back in to all kinds of new stuff, all yeah. kinds of different stuff, and, and it'll uh, be back to the normal format. And we haven't we haven't seen it yet, but from what I've been seeing online, it sounds like maybe we can wrap that into the Fantastic Beasts. Apparently, Fantastic Beasts uh, <laughs> Crimes of Grindelwald is, is not great. Not so fantastic, is what I'm hearing. That's the rumor, but we shall see. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I still want to see it, because um, I, I thought the first one was all right. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it's not, yeah, it's getting very bad reviews mm-hmm. in general, so... We're going to start uh, our Harry Potter episode off, like we always do, with muggle questions. Muggle. Non-magic folk. First things first, it's Trevor's birthday. Well, yesterday, if you're listening to this, <laughs> when this episode drops on Tuesday, uh, it was Trevor's birthday yesterday, so we wanted to miss, wish him a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Trevor. Yeah. We hope your birthday is better than Harry Potter's birthdays. Yeah, most of them are pretty bad. Yeah. Although, I will say, his 11th birthday... Pretty sweet. Pretty good birthday present. Found out he was a wizard. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, look where that got him, though. Fair enough. That was the beginning of a very dark <laughs> path. But that, was th- that in itself was probably a pretty sweet birthday. True. Especially in comparison to his previous 11, 10 <laughs> birthdays or so, nine birthdays. All right. But let's get into Trevor's actual questions here and uh, see see what he has for us. Brian, Katie, hello. Thank you again for having me on This Film is Lit, Harry Potter edition. We're getting down to it, guys. So in the beginning, everyone is worried about Voldemort. Do the humans know about Voldemort? Are they also worried? Or is that something that is kept secret from them? 
we talked about this a little bit in the half blood prince half blood prince episode and trevor did mention in a later question that he he wrote he wrote these questions down before listening to our half blood Mm. prince episode so uh he may not you know there may be certain things he missed that we talked about we talked about this a little bit in half blood prince the Ministry of Magic, the minister specifically of magic, informs uh, and keeps the muggle minister in the loop on kind of what's going on. Specifically yeah. in six, he tells him about how Voldemort is back and is a problem and all these yeah, sort of like, things. For important things, at least. Yeah. Anything that could be a safety issue, I guess. Yeah. And I think from that, we can assume that some of the higher ups within the muggle government are aware yeah. of what's going. It's probably not just the minister, but. You know, who knows how far that stretches to to different, you know, elements of the of the Muggle uh, government. Yeah, but, but ordinary people know. Yeah, just like the, the general population, I would assume not. No, uh, they don't. There's no mention of what, you know, what they know, which is in general. Some obviously some Muggles are aware because mm-hmm. like Hermione's parents are just sure, Muggles, yeah. you know, and had a so Muggle born witches and wizards their parents know and who knows how far that stretches beyond them if they're <laughs> you know the aunts and uncles might know yeah. who knows you Did know they how tell her grandma right like. <laughs> yeah you, it, they never, the books never really go into how far that sort of spreads out beyond that i think generally we could assume and i'm sure this has been talked about extra canonically if not canonically in terms of like what their rules are about telling people like that like mm-hmm. obviously Hermione's parents have to know but are they allowed to tell their grandparents or yeah. you know that sort of thing I'm sure yeah. there are like rules that and have we been know discussed. that wizards are very serious about their secrecy yes in this series so <laughs> yeah they do take it at least it, uh pretend to take it pretty seriously with there yeah. are all kinds of rules about doing magic in front of muggles and all that sort of thing that we, we've learned about earlier in the books um but now, as it gets a little more, uh, things get a little more crazy. It's not the the rules aren't really enforced the same way. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, they don't. Most people don't know, but the government does know. But there's not really anything they can do, and that's kind of right. what Fudge slash Scrim Scrimger, as we've now been found out from this movie. <laughs> uh, that's kind of what they tell the human minister. Like, there's there's not really anything. we're taking care yeah. of it. Like what are they going to do? We're doing the best we can. We're doing what we can. <laughs> Although I still want to know what happens if you shoot Voldemort with a gun. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I we, have a note about we should that try again it. Later. Yeah, I know. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> I feel like you could give it a go. <laughs> What's it gonna hurt? I felt like the movie did not properly explain the motivation or the reasoning behind Hermione taking away the memories from her parents. Did the book go into better detail about that? Um, so there is a little bit more explanation for this in the book. We get to see it in the movie, which is cool. Um, but she basically she modifies their memories. Um, there's, like I said, more explanation in the book. She basically like rewrites them so that they don't realize they have a daughter. Yeah. Uh, And they move to Australia. They, they decide to move. She makes them decide to move to Australia and forget the fact that they have a daughter. She also clarifies that if this ever all gets sorted out, she'll go find them and reverse it. Um, but the reason she does it is to hide them. Yeah, um, so that Death Eaters can't, like, find them and try to torture them for information. Yeah, so she gets them to move away, assume new identities, essentially, and then, uh, yeah, keep them out, keep them safe from from Voldemort and the Death Eaters is the plan. And it works in the books when they never, you know, they never get found or anything like that, that we know of. 
I was completely lost by the mirror shard. What was the mirror shard, and why does Harry keep seeing Dumbledore in it? The mirror shard is, and this is, I don't think, I think the movie cut this out. This is first in book five uh, in the Order of the Phoenix, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's probably in deleted scenes. I don't remember it in the movie unless I'm blanking on it. I don't Um, remember this being in the movie. Sirius gives Harry a two-way mirror. And Sirius has the other one. Yeah. And that shard is part of the mirror that Harry ends up breaking at the end of the fifth book because after Sirius dies, he he thinks, oh, the mirror, maybe somehow yeah. I'll still be able to talk to him and like kind of just as a last ditch effort. Uh, and then when it doesn't work, he gets mad and breaks it or like throws it and it breaks. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in his it's in his trunk for the rest of the series. And then as he's packing his trunk at the beginning of this book, he finds the shard. And is looking at it in his bedroom, which is kind of where we see it in the beginning of this movie yes. is him. But in the in the book, he is cleaning up and packing up to leave and kind of stumbles ar- yeah, across one of the shards. Apparently he's never cleaned out his trunk. He says he cleans it, it. He's described in the in the book. And I can kind of understand understand it for sort of a 16 year old boy. Of uh, He just scrapes off like the topmost layer of like clothes and swaps, you know, clean. You know, he never has like completely emptied his his trunk and re so there's stuff in the bottom corners you know little scraps of this and that that he's never completely cleaned out which i I can buy for a a 16 year old kid who's never really had great parental figures that (laughs) have explained how to you know be hygiene and that sort of thing we we've discussed or maybe we haven't we've meant to discuss how apparently how little they shower in this series because in when he's going to his trial in order of the phoenix uh mrs weasley says you need to wash your hair yeah. And I'm like, what before the trial tomorrow? And I'm like, is that was that how long has it been? <laughs> like, I know. I don't know. It just seemed weird to me. But anyways, so it's a mirror that he got from Sirius. And then as to what he sees in it, that's a spoiler. Yeah. So we're going to leave that alone. It will be answered now. in part two. Yeah. Uh, which Trevor has watched at this point, but we just don't have his questions for it. So but we do. But. Obviously, they're not in yeah, this. We're movie. not answering. We're not them answering right them yet. And I haven't <laughs> listened to them, but that will that will be answered in part two. All right, that's it for the first part of our Muggle questions. Let's get into better in the book. You like to read? Oh yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So this is uh probably going to be our shorter a shorter on the. As it goes in terms of better in the book, but also just in general. Mm -hmm. And one of the main reasons for that is this is a fairly faithful adaptation. Yeah, it actually is. Like, I say fairly, not fairly, like a pretty incredibly faithful. There's stuff they cut. Yeah. But there's stuff they change a little bit. But yeah, by and large, it's and a lot of it is incredibly faithful to what I sort of imagined from now. Part of that may be because at this point when I'm reading this book. I have seen the movies, right. like five of them, I think, by the time this book came out. Yeah. So maybe not, maybe even six of them. I, don't, I can't remember exactly the time. We would have to look it up. But so I've seen it. So that probably in, informed a little bit of what I imagined reading, seeing the character, the actors a little bit more than I mm-hmm. maybe previously did, that sort of thing. But it's it's very faithful and they don't cut a whole lot because they split it into two parts. Yeah. So they're able to include a lot more uh, than they have been in previous books. Um, so it's pretty faithful. So uh, it's not as crazy of a of a diversion from the book, but we do have quite a bit to discuss. So yeah, it's still our longest it. section. It's still our longest <laughs> section. 
Um, so first things first, literally everything with the Dursleys. They cut, and now I've heard that this is in the deleted scenes. They filmed considerably more of this, and it just all hit the cutting room floor for the theatrical release. But we get nothing with them. Mm -hmm. He watches them leave. Yeah, that's it. We don't even see, we see Vernon's face, and we see Petunia's face. We don't even see Dudley's face. We just see him walking to the car. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that kind of sucks is that in the book, there's a really interesting scene between Harry and the Dursleys as they're leaving. Yeah, they're being like, Dudley actually gets some hair comes some character growth. Yeah, he does. And it's a little I don't want to say out of nowhere, but it's because it's it's been sort of brewing since book five. Yeah. But we haven't really seen it until all of a sudden right now we kind of get like there wasn't like a gradual. It was just like all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's like now sort of cool with Harry. Um but uh he uh they're leaving because the ministry's putting them into like witness protection essentially yeah, basically. like through the um the ministry of magic that is uh but as they're saying goodbye and they know like this is the last time they're gonna see harry uh dudley somebody calls harry a waste of space probably vernon i assume and dudley says i don't think he's a waste of space yeah and then uh harry as he's leaving tells him to take care of big d which is like dudley's nickname so there's a nice little moment and they actually shake hands yeah it's, it's a nice moment between them yeah. Um and then and the another moment with Dudley, although we don't know it's Dudley at the time. Um Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. he leaves a cup of tea outside Harry's room for yeah. him. Harry steps accidentally or comes out of his room and steps on a and like crunches a, a teacup full of tea and he assumes it was like the Dursley's leaving it. I don't remember what he thought it was, but he realizes later that yeah. it was uh, Dudley after his goodbye with Dudley. He goes, oh, that was actually probably Dudley mm-hmm. leaving me tea because he was like locked in his room or whatever. So, yeah, there's some some sweet little moments there with the Dursleys, but that's all removed. Again, I uh, from what I've heard, it is was shot and is in the extended cut or at least some version of it is mm-hmm. in the extended cut. So and then we jump right into Harry's uh, removal from Privet Drive mm-hmm. where everybody shows up the whole order, basically except for a couple of them, show up to escort Harry away from Privet Drive when his, not when his, I guess he's not turning 17, that's still not till later, but just. Right, because he's, he's leaving Privet Drive, which means he'll no longer consider that his home. Yes. And his aunt doesn't live there anymore, so that um, the as soon as he leaves magic it, protection the blood magic will is drop. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, well, one of the things I thought is that when it, so we finally see Bill in the movies. This is the first yeah. time we see Bill in any of the movies. He arrives, and and I do appreciate this. They had every single person who was uh, there in the book mm-hmm. as part of this group is there in the movie. Yeah. I, at least I'm pretty sure, unless I'm missing somebody. I believe no, every I think everybody was there. Yeah, because they have all seven of the other Harrys, or all six of the other Harrys, or whatever. Um, and so yeah, they they're all there. So Bill finally shows up because he has to. Uh, he's he's been in almost every not every book like since four he's been in like every book probably yeah. maybe not five as much but he was in four six and seven for yeah. sure um he was in and we'll talk about what it where he where he was at and what he was doing in six in a muggle question because trevor was also confused about who is this new <laughs> character <laughs> which we'll discuss but uh he's uh he was attacked by finra grayback and they mentioned that in the movie but uh, I always imagined him to be a little more scarred than he I, is yeah, in the I film. Yeah, I imagined it. Like, because the way they talk about it at the end of book six, it sounds pretty gnarly. Yeah, and now they talk about they did a fair amount of magic to kind of fix him up and uh-huh. that sort of thing. But it's still implied that he's rather disfigured on half of his face. Yeah. 
and he sort of just has a cool slash on his face in yeah. the movie. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I understand kind of probably why they did that. But at the same time, again, to me, it felt like one of those things where it would be striking and, and a reminder of how evil and now they do it a lot better in this movie in, in terms of uh, sort of showing us how truly evil the mm-hmm. bad guys in this series are, whereas yeah. a lot of the other times we don't get they, they don't we don't see them being evil as much. Uh, whereas we do quit get it quite a bit in this one. Um, but I think that would have been one more thing to help drive it home is we see Bill, especially if it's the first time we see him, like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like if it's half of his well, face is think, like, like really and, messed and up. And I can understand not wanting to do that kind of makeup for yeah. like a 10 second, a 10 second shot. shot of him. Yeah. But I still think it would have been something I don't want to say easy because I know that applying makeup like that isn't easy, but something kind of relatively minor to do that would have been, like you said, it would have helped drive home the evil aspect. Yeah. And it also would have been like a nice nod for the fans. Yeah. Like, hey, we've cut him out of the last three movies. Here's an actual thing. Here's a thing that's true to the books is that, yeah, he got fucked up by Fenrir Greyback. But now he's just got a slash because he like gnawed on his face is the Mm -hmm. because he he he, he, like not. And this is just like he got slashed is what it kind of looks like. Um, Again, it's not a big deal. It's it's fine. At least they mentioned it and and didn't like completely cut it out. But yeah, and I think uh, we've watched uh, 13 seasons of face off. I think I could say that would be relatively not it would not be that big of a deal to do. You know, a pretty gnarly scar yeah. makeup for one scene. You know, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. They cut out a couple. They, uh, overall, we'll talk about it later. This whole scene's great, but they cut out a couple of, of lines I really liked, mm-hmm. and that are callback lines to earlier in the series. That uh, one of those things that J.K. Rowling does really well: the call forwards and the call backwards. And one of them is that uh, when they're taking the polyjuice potion in this scene, they put Harry into it, and it always changes color. Yeah. To whatever kind yeah, of match they put his, they put his hair in. And 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 every time we see Polyjuice Potion in the books, anytime you put it, the person's ingredient in, it changes colors. Yeah. And uh, they put it into Harry's, and he turns like goldish, mm-hmm. kind of. And they make a joke about how you look way tastier than Crab and Goyle, <laughs> because when they turned into Crab and Goyle in way book back two, in book two, yeah, it turned like snot green and like yeah, it looked like brown or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like these two awful colors <laughs> because they're awful people. Um, and I thought that was a fun little callback. And mm-hmm. then also. Fred and George have a callback to the very first time they're introduced where when they both because Fred and George both turn into take the polyjuice potion to put through the polyjuice potion <laughs> to become Harry. And then um, somebody says something to him like, <clears throat> hey, Fred, do this or hey. And, and they, they go, I'm not Fred. I'm George. Can't you tell us apart or something like that? Which obviously the joke in the moment, they both look like Harry. Yeah. But that was their same joke they made. When they yeah, were introduced at the train station. When we first meet them, yeah, they make that joke. To their mom or whatever, yeah, when she's trying to tell them apart. And that's in the first movie, I believe. Yeah, yeah that, that I remember that from the movie. Um, so I thought that would have been a good quick little thing to have that call back to, you know. But again, not, not a big deal. And I don't think this was in the movie. I don't remember hearing it. Do you remember? I don't remember this? either. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it. this was in there, but in the book, uh, Mad-Eye Moody has a line um, yeah. When they're going over this plan, and it's a it's an ironic line, and we know that it's an ironic yes. line. It's dramatic irony. Yeah, um, he says. Is it dramatic irony if some of the characters are aware? I guess it is for him. It's dramatic yeah. irony for Moody. 
Right, because he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. But the reader knows. Yeah, and Harry and Hermione and Yes, Ron they know. know. Yeah. Uh, but he says, even you-know-who can't split himself into seven. Yeah. Like, well, actually. But he has. <laughs> actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't believe that was in the movie. I want to also, this is a good point to say it. As we're watching this movie, we're taking notes, and we're going back, and we're watching and taking notes, and sometimes we have to pause and take notes, so there's always going to be things we miss in the yeah. movie specifically, I mean, and in the book. The book's a little easier, because it's easier to take notes while you're reading it, because you yeah. can just stop. And, and it's easier to like just flip back a page right. and, and like, look at something oh, than to try to rewind, rewind the... and find the part in the movie. Yeah. So with the movie, it's a little tough, because we're taking notes, and help. it helps that there's two of us, so that one of us hopefully catches everything. But there are things where it's like sometimes it's like, ah, did they yeah. did they have that part in the movie? Especially if it's a little thing, yeah, you're like, oh, one line, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, a little one liner or something. You're you're thinking about it later, and you're like, shit, was that actually in there? Yeah. Did I miss it? So there's chances that there's stuff like that that is in it, or that or, you know whatever that we just missed. Uh, if so, we apologize. We're doing what we can here. <laughs> Again, it's we'd have to watch the movie like six times to, and that's. A lot. It was way too much time investment, (laughs) more than we can handle for this podcast. So I don't know if overall, I think I could see you have this in a later segment and I don't disagree. I just think there's something really interesting about the way they do it in the book when Hedwig dies. In the book, Hedwig is in her cage and just gets hit with a killing curse and is dead. Yeah. Uh, There's no fanfare. There's no nothing. It just happens like immediately. And it's like brutal and you're like, oh, shit. And I think I understand what we're going to talk about later. And mm-hmm. I don't disagree with why you have it in a different section. And I even agree with it in the sake of the movie, I think. In the book, I kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say I like it, but I like it in the sense that it's just this brutal, like, holy shit, reality check. Like, it, it instantly makes it clear the stakes of this yeah. book. And now you can say that even with the way they do it in the movie, but it just feels so brutal and cold in the book that I, I don't know. It like really puts it on. It puts you on edge like, Oh shit, this is not going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> when the way Redwig dies in the book. Well, and yeah, I um that's in chapter four and yeah. I actually I read the first three chapters and then I stopped and I couldn't make myself pick yeah. the book back up for a couple of days <laughs> because this I mean this is a thing that one of the things that really gets me because basically what J.K. Rowling did here was kill the dog yeah absolutely killed the dog that's I mean that's what happened yeah. she killed the pet yeah and you know I'm not. I don't like that. Yeah. And I understand it narratively. I also understand it practically. Yes, of I understand it Of not dragging Hedwig around with them everywhere they go. Well, I don't know that they would have done that. Sure, yeah, maybe yeah, he could have left Hedwig with somebody. Or but, well, if Harry was smart, he would have sent Hedwig ahead like a week early. But Right. I just meant, I meant when they were going everywhere after this. No, I know. Yeah, like it, it made sense to not have to deal with bringing an owl with you. Is, I, is what I I just meant. I understood it from an ease of story writing point. I'm not yes. having to have like we have Hedwig with them the whole time. And what are they doing with Hedwig? And if they're apparating in and out of places really <laughs> fast, like what is Hedwig up to? Now you could write it away like oh, he she, gives them to Jenny or something yeah, or whatever. At but the Weasleys. Yeah, like sure, I get that. But but it's 
like, okay, we watched the movie Hush mm-hmm. around Halloween. <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, what was I worried about the whole time? They introduced what was a my cat. main concern? They introduced a cat very early, uh, which Hush just very quickly is about a woman who lives alone, a deaf woman who lives alone in the woods. Uh, and she has a pet cat, an outdoor pet cat. Mm-hmm. And they introduce it very early because she feeds it or whatever. And then this killer shows up. And yes, the whole time you were worried and waiting for them to kill the cat. Yeah, because if they had killed the cat, I was going to leave and not talk to you for the next three days. That's how that was going to go down. Which I did remember. I, I couldn't remember whether or not they did, but I was erring on the side of they don't, which I was correct. They Spoilers. Not, yes. They don't kill the cat. If you are if you want to watch that movie and you're worried about the cat dying and cat does not die. So. But the, the death of the pet is a trope that I have a particularly hard time handling for lots of reasons. Right, right. Um, when I was rereading this book this is probably the first time i've reread it maybe since it came out really i've read it two or three times because i didn't i i didn't just didn't reread them a lot yeah after that first time um but at, at any rate the book the page in the in the book where hedwig dies in my copy has tear stains on it, it. absolutely so there's does. a fun fact for you guys <laughs> it absolutely does i don't know if that's a fun fact but it's a fact <laughs> it absolutely does you showed it to me i was like yep there you go <laughs> I don't believe I cried when Hedwig died when I read this the first time, but I know I did at the end. Not mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, at the end of this book, movie. At the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Not at the end of the movie. At the end, where, this, where this movie ends, that point of the book, I remember crying. But uh, I don't know if I did with Hedwig or not. So, Oh, also Harry fucking blows Hedwig up yeah. in the book, which is, I, I get why they didn't do that, but it is nuts and i had completely forgotten about that because hedwig is in the sidecar of the motorcycle and in the book the sidecar of the motorcycle falls off at one point and hedwig's in the cage down there and and as it falls past some death eaters harry shoots it with some spell that Mm -hmm. makes it explode and i was like jesus christ and he has a thought in his head where he's like sorry hedwig and i'm like fucking hell man (laughs) i mean he's already dead but yeah. It was uh yeah, it was wild. I just and then everybody keeps asking him about Hedwig. Yeah. And I'm like, please, you guys. <laughs> please stop. Chill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh a couple more things when this scene during the the big chase with the Death Eaters at the beginning. Uh they do a lot of cool stuff with in the movie, but one thing they don't do, which I I'm amazed they didn't, because I it seems ready made for a movie, is at one point he hits the button on the motorcycle, and one of the things they built into this motorcycle along with the speed boost is a magic wall brick mm-hmm. wall that pops out of the back of the motorcycle like you're yeah. playing mario kart and then <laughs> like two or three death eaters slam into it and like break their brooms or whatever and i'm like come on why would that not be in the movie that's like ready made for there a great a comic lot of gag. stuff in that in this in that particular scene that didn't make it into the movie yeah I felt like that yeah I they changed like, a lot why? of stuff for them yeah that i was not not a big fan of but um i did like a lot of what they did with it but yeah and then again, this is where they go back to this time, and they had the changes for the movie. Is that all of the Death Eaters in the scene in the movie are on brooms again for some reason? Yeah. Uh, whereas our people are on a combination of brooms, thestrals, and uh, the motorcycle, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, in the book. And I think in the movie, I think one of them's. I think they are on thestrals. Yeah, a couple yeah. of them, like Bill or whatever. Um, and but we've established in book movies five and six. A thing that I've discussed my hatred of <laughs> is that all of the Death Eaters and 
the Order of the Phoenix, the the elder members of the mm-hmm. Order of the Phoenix, can turn into like ghosts or smoke monsters and yeah, fly they around, all shoot around as pillars yeah. of smoke, yeah. basically. And I I've always hated that um, for a couple of reasons, and one of the very specific reasons is that it's a big deal that Voldemort can yeah. fly in the book, yeah. in 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 this book when he flies up to Harry at on the motorcycle in this chapter. And then when they land and after everything goes down, they're like, he was flying. And everybody's like, what? Voldemort was flying? Yeah. And they're like, no, no they, broom. They make a point to be like, he wasn't on a broom or yeah. a Thestral or yeah. anything. It was he just was flying. Just flying around out yeah. there. And so it's this big, impressive thing. But it's like, no, it's not. Everybody has done that for the last two movies. Yeah. And again, all of a sudden now, everybody's just on brooms. Because you can't do the combat of this scene mm-hmm. if they're just smoke monsters because they have to shoot <laughs> spells at each other and stuff. So it's like, you really didn't think this one through a movie. Maybe with the you whole... can't shoot spells as a smoke monster. No, you can't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's Well, at least it doesn't seem like it. It seems like you battle through like sheer force of will or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hate I, it. I, I fucking <laughs> hate it. It's one of my least favorite decisions they made in any of the movies. Again, I understand that it like looks cool. It just, it makes, it doesn't fit in with mm-hmm. anything we've ever seen in any of the books or anything. And again, they have to change it here because it doesn't work. Right. Yes. All of a sudden it really, really doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> in the movie, they figure out it's Harry because of Hedwig. In yeah. the book, they figure out it's him because he uses Expelliarmus yeah. on Stan uh, Shunpike. Because Stan yeah. Shunpike shows up and Harry doesn't want to hurt him. And so he uses Expelliarmus on him to get rid of his wand, but it doesn't stupefy him. So he falls to his death or whatever. Uh, and that's how they realize that it's Harry, uh, which, again, we've joked about it. But that's it's great because it's, it's one thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a comment on Harry's character mm-hmm. about how he, you know, his his innate goodness and that sort of thing of not even when his life is being threatened, he does what he yeah, can his, to not hurt other people. His goal is to disarm. Right. Um, but, uh, no, but sorry, that was, that was the point. I thought I had <laughs> yeah. somewhere else. I was not, not even Death Eaters can name a more iconic duo. <laughs> nope. That's it. They're like, oh shit, it's him. Go, go, go give a little more. Yeah. We have, um, another movie that makes Hagrid less badass. I can't than he is stand it. Books. I can't stand it. I don't even know. He must have something in book in movie seven or in this next movie in part two. I don't know. I don't remember, but Holy shit. So again, we, we every book I've mentioned or every movie slash book I've mentioned this, there's been a moment where Hagrid has done something freaking crazy badass and then the movie has not had it in it. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they do the extra disservice of him just getting knocked unconscious halfway yeah. through this chase scene. Yeah. I was like, did 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 the uh what's his name? Did uh the actor I can't remember his name now, I'm blanking on it, like get sick? Like for like half the shooting, and so they like made him unconscious, slumped over the steering wheel, so they could just have a body double or something. It was so weird because he just gets stunned like halfway through, and Harry has to like fly the motorcycle yeah. and like fight people off all at the same time. But in the book, a Death Eater comes up to the side of their motorcycle and goes to kill him or something, and Hagrid leaps off of the motorcycle <laughs> in midair onto the broom and onto the Death Eater and starts like beating the shit out of them in midair. <laughs> And then somehow Harry, I don't remember, I'd have to go back and look, but somehow Harry gets him back off that and gets yeah. him back into the motorcycle. I'm not exactly sure how that happens. Oh, I think he falls and Maybe Harry catches I him? Don't I don't remember. remember. But whatever it is, it would have been awesome in the it movie. That would have been an insane scene. <laughs> yes. And it makes me wonder if, like, maybe there's... They have a hard time finding a big enough stunt, stunt double, or just or, it's just tough to figure out how to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I that doesn't seem like it would be that hard to. I, don't know. to, I mean, based on what we've seen with the way they do stunts in 
you don't get a big stunt double. You get small stunt doubles for the other people. Right. You know, or you, and get a normal size <laughs> stunt double. Like they just, I don't know, call up however they, whoever worked on Lord of the Rings and figure out how they did uh, or uh, Urukai versus halfling yeah. <laughs> stunts and then do that. Like I don't, you know, it's just weird to me that they never have him doing any of the cool things he does. I, yeah. And it, I, yeah. It's knocking weird. him unconscious is because and, and it's canon in the books too that he's that he, really hard to stun yeah yeah because he gets hit with a stun you're right and yeah, yeah he doesn't he his spells bounce off him which yeah. is the thing we again I'll, I'll hold with i'll withhold my judgment slightly <laughs> for book seven and or part two and thinking maybe they were saving this but yeah canonically in the in the books we get all these moments where people try to cast spells at him and he's like i'm a motherfucking giant and they just bounce yeah. off of him and we don't ever get to which see that also would have been really cool yes. to see i know it's like do you guys not know what the hulk is and like how people like the hulk you have that use it like you basically have that in your movie you're just not using it like what are you doing when they finally get back um uh george gets a oh, right it is george yeah mm-hmm. gets i can never remember which one get which which one gets the hole in the head and which one no, gets murdered george that gets the hole in <laughs> yes. his head um and but they they do the scene where he gets a, a hole inside of his head but i thought they did a terrible job depicting what yeah. I imagined that looked well, like. Well, it just looked like like there was a lot of blood, and but like you couldn't really see what hole. had happened. Yeah, because they describe it very explicitly in the book that Harry looks at him and said, where his, hole, where his ear should have been, there's just a gaping black hole. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and it, it sounds terrifying. And right, because that's not how skulls work. Yeah. I, I don't know what they would have done to make it, and I guess maybe <laughs> they were trying to figure out how to work around the PG-13 rating because they couldn't mm-hmm. make it too weird right. you know what i mean so yeah. I, i'll give him some benefit there but he just is like bloody it looks like he got his ear kind of sliced mm-hmm. and started bleeding a lot and i'm like but then they yeah. still yeah it was just it didn't look how i imagined it to look but again i can see how that would have been tough to yeah. do um the movie speeds up a lot of what happens right here while yeah. they're staying at the weasley's as they're preparing to leave yeah which i get yeah um but it, we also skipped over i thought a lot of like fun interesting yeah. details yeah i had forgot about this until i reread yeah. this that they set up this whole side story or not side story cover story for ron yeah, yeah the uh, ron's a uh, decoy ghoul yeah because uh, the the burrow has a ghoul living in it mm-hmm. um which we found out in the first book or second book i don't know whenever second book, yeah I whenever harry went to visit uh they have a ghoul living in their attic and they transfigure the ghoul to look kind of like ron and put it in his pajamas mm-hmm. And then that way they can tell people that Ron, when Ron doesn't show up to Hogwarts because he's out looking for Horcruxes with Harry, he can tell them uh, he's at home sick with Spattergroit. I think is how, is how, it, it's, it's, how it. it's spelled. Uh, and then it's apparently this like super horrific yes. wizarding world disease. disease. Yeah. And it's really contagious. It's like so, polio or yeah, something. It's, it's, so it's what like it the perfect like. cover polio, because like nobody's, smallpox. Yeah, nobody's going to want to get near him enough mm-hmm. to see if it's actually him. Yeah, but they have this ghoul that just sits around and moans all day anyways. <laughs> so they're like perfect. He'll just look, he'll have red hair and do it. And yeah. so it's just great. And they actually, in the book, mentioned that that did happen, that somebody did come and investigate yeah. it, why he wasn't at school. And they showed him the ghoul and they were like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a couple other things. Uh, Hermione has a story about how she stole some banned books. Yes. Out of Dumbledore's office like a motherfucking badass. And that's how she learns stuff about the Horcrux, which yeah. we don't get in the movie, is that she actually knows a fair amount about Horcruxes by the time 
they start their journey because mm-hmm. she got these books from Dumbledore's office that he had removed from the library. Yeah. But they discussed that were in the library when Riddle was there, which is how he learned about him originally. Um, but yeah, and she she levitates him out the window. Yeah. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, good for her. Um, another little thing that we get lost is uh, on Harry's birthday yeah. when when he's allowed to do magic now. When the trace is lifted. Yeah, he's no longer underage. He starts off his day by just doing a bunch of random shit by magic. Every petty little thing yeah. that you would normally do manually, he uses magic to but do. But I love that because the, absolutely everyone would do that. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah, question. Yeah, he grabs, he Akio's his, or his glasses from his night table a foot to his right to his yeah. hand and like, you know, just everything. And then Ron's like, don't try to do up your fly yeah. by magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, uh, they're little, little, little things that kids, or not kids, well, they are kids, but teenagers do. And there are sexual innuendos in this book. Yes, there are. In my good Christian Harry Potter books. (laughs) Several, several times. Um, One here uh, when Ron is, Ron has gotten Harry a book for his birthday about how to charm witches. Mm -hmm. And he. Oh, I had a note about that. I forgot to mention it. He says it's not all about wand work either. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, Ron bought. (laughs) Harry, a shitty pickup artist. Book. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Ron Wood, though, to be fair. <laughs> Fucking Ron Wood. But yeah, I was like, great. <laughs> um, we get, uh, we don't get, rather, Floor's parents at all. Yeah. Floor Delacour, which um, she's reintroduced finally, which she's been in the past couple books. Yes. And hasn't been in the movies. Yes. And I understand cutting Floor's parents, but I thought they were kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, interesting yeah. characters. Interesting uh, versions of... Because you kind of you would expect them to be kind of snobby. Yeah. Based on what we've seen of Floor, of but Floor. they're totally not. Well, I thought the implication was that her mom was kind of a little, but that her dad is very jovial and maybe not. Her I mom could be was wrong. all right. I, I don't know. I, maybe I just thought that, that I tied that in because her mom's like very pretty like, and, like mm-hmm. and seems like very elegant like she is, whereas her dad's like this... I imagine her dad looking not too dissimilar from Vernon Dursley, except like a little <laughs> yeah, more they handsome. Yeah, say he's like like kind of short and rotund, yeah, and like very jolly. Yeah, and bald, I think. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, but yeah, they're they're fun characters. But yeah, I get why they weren't in there. Uh, this change I absolutely understand, and they do this a lot in this movie where they drop polyjuice potion. Yeah, there's a whole lot more polyjuice potion in the book than there is in the movie. This one. I get uh, the one later I absolutely think was the right change and we'll talk about it when we get there. This one, uh, Harry goes to the wedding as uh, a a Weasley cousin. Mm -hmm. He goes as cousin Barney because there's going to be a lot of people there that don't need to know that Harry's staying with the Weasleys because they don't know that everybody coming to this wedding is necessarily like they're not. It's not just people from the order at this wedding. It's all kinds of people from all over the place. Like Victor Crumb is there, which is one of the things. And and you don't know who's going to run their mouth. So they just have Harry pretend to be a cousin so that he can be at the party, but not have to worry about whether or not people start Mm -hmm. talking about Harry being there and that sort of thing. But in the movie, it ends up not mattering because the attack happens and they just immediately run away. So it's yeah. not like that big of a deal, yeah. like in the movie that it changed because it didn't end up affecting anything. But ultimately, it could have if, you know, if things hadn't gone all to hell right away. Oh, and also in the in the book, Luna knows it's Harry, which I think is hilarious. 
Yeah. She no, walks well, right up to him. Canon evidence of Luna just knowing shit. Yeah. For no reason. For no other reason. Than that she's Luna. She just walks up to Harry and goes and says like Harry and he's like, how did you know it was me? And she said, I think she says like, I could just tell or like yeah. the way you carry yourself something. or something, something like that. Uh, but yeah, she she just knows it's him, which is, is I love Luna. And Fred in the book oh, has a line at the wedding yep. that just hurt my heart. He's yeah. like, when I get married, yeah. I'm going to do blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <sighs> fuck you, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Which we'll talk about. I'm not convinced that J.K. Rowling needed to kill quite as many people as she did in this book. <laughs> Uh, especially at the end. I think some would argue that she should have killed more people. Maybe different people? I don't know. I have... I Here's the thing. I will say this. I read this before I read... Did I, did I read... No, I didn't. Did I? No. Well, it, regardless, comparing this to Return of the King... Uh-huh. It's like Return of the King, like fucking everybody lives. Yeah. Like everybody <laughs> lives. And then I heard this and I'm like, this is a kid's book. I mean, I, Lord of the Rings is not not a kid's book, but it's not really a kid's book. It's it's more, I think the audience for Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. skews older than for Harry Potter generally. Uh, it's like in this kid's book, she kills like everybody. She kills like <laughs> half the people. Well, and I think the thing of it is, is that... Uh, I don't even know if we should talk about this here. Yeah, probably not too much, but... And at the end, a lot of the people who die, die kind of without fanfare. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. It's mainly a couple deaths. We'll talk about it. There was a couple that I really had problems with. Or not problems with, that I'm just like, I don't know if you need it. I don't know if you need to go that dark. But back to the wedding. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, I thought... You had something about Auntie Muriel. And, Not and her, different but about the scene. About the exchange it's between... Just the whole scene. Yeah. Um, but I agree with this note. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, movie Auntie Muriel yes. just paled in comparison yes. to book. Because book had something to say about everything. Oh, my goodness. Did I, you catch when she was complaining about Fleur being French? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's like, not happy that Fleur's she, like, She's a nice girl for a, a French person. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> But yeah, I I do agree that the movie Auntie Muriel doesn't, and I wasn't even sure if she was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does show up. But yeah, she doesn't hold a candle to the book. The book one is just the worst. Yeah. And she's literally the worst. And well, I have a couple nasty. notes about it later. Yeah, she's super nasty and just awful. And then kind of everybody hates her. But <laughs> I uh, I did the overall that scene that I'll talk about later. But yeah, the character, her character, wasn't wasn't close. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned it earlier, but Victor Crumb's at the wedding, yeah. which is interesting because it a little moment, and it kind of helps spur some of Ron's feelings that mm-hmm. sort of ruminate and come to the surface later in the book slash movie of his sort of uh, in uh, insecurity and that yes. sort of thing. Seeing Victor Crumb again and Hermione's all happy and like hugs him and that sort of thing, and he gets, you know, you can he's he's like, yeah. you know, and so and it was just kind of interesting to see him be there, which would and it would also make sense because. He was the champion with Floor and you right, know, all these yeah, other people. So. A, it's a fun callback. Yeah. Um, oh, I Kingsley's, could not agree more with this note. Kingsley's Patronus in the book is actually a Patronus. Yes. And it's like a, it's an a, otter. A, no, it's like it? a lynx. A lynx. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, it's just like a a ball, a ball of light with like, and you can see some like images of people running. I'm like movie. Is it that hard to show an actual Patronus? They could not 
come to one idea of what they wanted a Patronus to look like from, and it seems so obvious because you know what? It looks exactly how the doe looks at the end of this movie. Yeah. That's what a Patronus looks like. They should have all just been animals of that. Even, and even Umbridge's like the cat yeah. looks yeah. like they know how to do it. But then here's what I get. I think they thought, I don't know because in the movie what they do is they make it this ball of light and like images of like fleeing people and like chaos are yeah. like kind of emanating from it and it's sort of I guess supposed to be almost like a hologram kind of thing mm-hmm. basically of like this is what's happening at the ministry like people are dying chaos ah run. to make it more ominous than if like a, a lynx showed up and was talking like might not be as scary maybe but I agree that it's like that's that's my only thought yeah. is that that's why they changed that. But that's not what a Patronus is. I know, I know. The Patronus is not just a ball of light that gives... Yeah, it does. I I don't... I I, I agree. (laughs) I agree. So they leave the wedding. Oh, gosh, yes. This. And then the whole entire movie almost ends when they very nearly get run over by a bus. In the movie. Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't happen in the book. (laughs) They're just on the sidewalk, from what I recall. But yeah, in the movie, they almost get run over by a bus. And I was like, boy, that would be an (laughs) uncertain... ceremonial ending well, guess Voldemort wins yeah. our three heroes just got flattened by a double decker <laughs> but uh yeah so then they they end up in in the book they end up in Tottenham Court Road they end up mm-hmm. somewhere slightly different in the movie I'm assuming because yeah, of shooting logistics or whatever it doesn't matter um but uh we both had this note because it was, of course it's you know typical is that they're they came from a wedding so they're wearing like Fancy yeah, clothing, and they're they're walking down the street to go find somewhere to go change because Hermione's got clothes, and Hermione gets catcalled from like yeah. <laughs> a group of dudes across the street. Yeah, like at a pub or something. Yeah, it's like yep, <laughs> yep, <laughs> fantastic. That tracks. Um, but they eventually end up at Twelve Grimmauld Place. Yeah, yeah, which was where it, we saw that in the fifth book, where the that was where the order was. It was yeah, Sirius's yeah. house. It's Sirius's old house, which is now, and they leave this out. Was it in the last book? Probably or this one, the last one. I think it was in the last one where they in, uh, discussed that it was left to Harry. Yeah, yeah. Dumbledore, yeah. Dumbledore tells him, and it wasn't in the movie, I don't think. Mm-mm. But in the book, in the sixth book, they Dumbledore explains. Yeah, uh, like Grimmauld Place is yours now. Basically, willed. Yeah, willed the house, to all, everything all the stuff to you. he had. Um, so that he, Harry can get in there. Also, he uh, knows of it because Dumbledore's secret keeper, and he knew the secret. So they're they're gonna go there and hang out because mm-hmm. it's it's under the Fidelius charm still. Technically, because right. they all once Dumbledore died, everybody who knew about it becomes became the secret, the secret keeper. keeper, which makes it vulnerable because Snape because knew. Snape knew. Yeah. But he doesn't ever show up while yeah. they're there. And, yeah. And we ultimately find out the reason for that. Yes. But they're under the assumption they're hoping they, they don't really have anywhere else to go. They're like, we just kind of have to go there and hope yeah. that Snape doesn't come back or doesn't, you know, whatever. It's kind of like hoping that Snape doesn't come find them there. But while they're there, they uh, go up Harry. And we see this in the movie. Harry goes and explores and finds Sirius's room mm-hmm. and is looking around. And there's kind of really interesting stuff in there. There's like a picture of him back in school and like posters of <laughs> bikini clad muggles, which I thought was <laughs> a random weird thing. Um, but uh, uh, he finds a letter from Lily. Yeah, from his mom. Written to Sirius from when Harry was like. Like a year old? Yeah, well, it's literally like a week or something before his parents die. Yeah. There's a, a really kind of heart-wrenching moment where he notices that his mom's handwriting has some similarities to his. Specifically the G. Yeah. The way they write their Gs. Doesn't make any sense, but magic, so it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
Handwriting's not hereditary, I don't think, but yeah, in a magic world, sure. <laughs> sure, it can be. Um, so this, uh, they really blow this, oh, uh, the creature. Blew this so they blew hard. creature, uh, the creature scenes, all of them kind of, to some extent. They kind of neutered the heck, and maybe in the deleted scenes there's more of this. Yeah. I would think there probably is, because this is pretty important. Um, but uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the movie, sorry, in the book, no, let's start with in the movie. In the movie... Harry finds Creature in, in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, they f- go looking for him because they find, they figure out R.A.B., Regulus. They do yeah. That all goes similar to how it does in the movie. And then they rush to go find Creature mm-hmm. because they want to ask him about the locket because yes. they're like, oh, maybe he would know because he was here. Also, there's the, <laughs> they know because they remember yeah. the setup from book five. Where they found the locket. Which they didn't do in the movie. Yeah. But in the book five, there's a, one passage that are cleaning out the drawing room, I believe it is, or mm-hmm. the library or something, and they find this old heavy locket that, quote unquote, none of them can open, and they get rid of it. Or they, you yeah. know, they... And it's just casually Casually in a mentioned in a things. Yeah. Um, but they recall that mm-hmm. in, the, in this moment when they realize it was Regulus who stole the locket, and they're like, holy shit, maybe that locket we found two years ago was the locket. So they go and they find Creature, and they talk to him, and they're like, hey, did you help him get a locket do you know anything about this locket do you have the locket all that sort of stuff and uh creature relays the tale of how they went and mm-hmm. captured the locket which we get none of in the mm-hmm. movie which is really disappointing because it's a really interesting and again important sort of theme yes. of underestimating non-wizards yes uh, and and which we get a lot throughout this book and it's just absent from the movie but he relays the fact that he went with regulus and Regulus drank the potion, and that uh, creature then took the lo- got him out. Right. Mm-hmm. Basically, creature went with Regulus and did this with him, and that uh, because Voldemort underestimates non wizards and of all sorts, Muggles, elves, goblins, just. Anybody who's not a wizard, he doesn't give a shit about. He thinks they're not mm-hmm. worthy of his respect or is, is thought of uh, at any on any level. Creature is able to apparate out of the cave yeah. where the locket is. And so he's able to grab um, Regulus, apparate out, and then Regulus ends up dying from the potion, I think is the impl- implication. I think, let me, ch- let me double check because I... Or maybe he doesn't get Regulus out. Maybe Regulus just dies there. No, you're right. He does. He just dies there. He does just die there. And, 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 yes. And Creature just takes the locket and apparates out. Yeah. Yeah. And then he comes back and puts... Or no. Yeah, he doesn't come back. I thought he came back, but... Yeah, he ordered Creature to leave without him. To go home. To never tell my mistress what he had done, but to destroy the first locket. His mistress being Mrs. Meaning Black. Mrs. Black, yeah. yeah. And destroy the first locket. And yeah, Regulus had brought the other locket mm-hmm. and left it there, I think. So yeah. So anyways, Creature is able to get out because he has elven magic that is different and not necessarily superior, but in some ways it is. But also it's just, it's different than wizard what yeah, the magic wizard wizards magic. do. And it's not something that uh, Voldemort had ever considered as a threat. Mm-hmm. So that's why Creature is able to do this, um, which, again, is a really important thematic moment in terms yeah. of setting up the fact that the downfall of Voldemort and all turns comes from his 
both arrogance, mm-hmm. his lack of compassion, mm-hmm. and his uh, his bigotry, essentially. Yeah. Um, and again, they just don't have that really. It's not. It doesn't play. There's the, some of the the an attempt at those themes is in the movies throughout their moments, like with the in the ministry with the muggles under the thing. There's like they hint at it, but they don't ever get like the really important moments that mm-hmm. kind of linchpin that yeah. theme. Yeah. So. I mean, basically, Creature had this horrible traumatic experience yeah, yeah. that he's never been able to tell anyone no, about. never told anybody. And in the book, it's it's a growing moment for everyone yeah. there. Yes. And that's the thing. In the movie, he just, Harry just kind of stays not nice to him. Yeah. In the book, their relationship completely transforms. Yeah. Now, Creature's still a bit of a bigot. Because he was raised by horrible bigots and taught nothing but bigotry his whole life. So he's still a bit of a, you know, not a great person. But he starts to slowly change, at least from what we see Mm -hmm. in the book. Um, Whereas he's in the movie, we see it where he, he, you know, he calls Hermione a mudblood. He's like, how dare you talk to me and all that stuff, which he still does. But we get to a point in the book where eventually even Creature, as he's leaving to go do something at one point in the book, he, he, he like kind of bows yeah. To Hermione. Like, oh, like, nah, like it's he's try. He's getting, you know, <laughs> he's getting there. Um, and, and all it took was for Harry and uh, for, for them to show them him some compassion. Yeah. And the big thing he does is in this moment, I think it's in this moment, he gives Creature the old locket, mm-hmm. the fake locket yeah. that they had. Um, because it was Regulus's. He goes, here, you know what? Take this. Take this old. And Creature, like, fucking loses his mind. Yeah. Like, so happy about having this thing that belonged to his old master, you know? Uh, and it's a really important moment. And again, it's just all cut from the movie. Yeah. Which is really rough. Um, another thing that got cut oh, yeah. was uh, Lupin. Lupin shows to up. see them yeah. while they're staying at grim old place. And I'm okay with his scene getting cut. I agree. It's a downer. I yeah. I don't think it was wholly necessary to no. the story in any way. No. Um, but there, there was a particular exchange that I, I wish could yes. have found its way into the movie. Cause yes. it's just super fucking relevant. It's a, an eternal, internally relevant exchange. And you posted a picture of this on, I think on your face. No, it was, it was on my Instagram yeah, or whatever. Not on, not, <laughs> not on, on ours. Yeah. So the ministry has established a muggle registry, yeah, essentially mug- muggle born registry. Yeah. Sorry. And this is uh, Hermione reading it. Muggle born register. The Ministry of Magic is undertaking a survey of so-called quote unquote muggle borns to better to understand how they be- came to possess magical secrets. Recent research undertaken by the Department of Mysteries reveals that magic can only be passed from person to person when wizards reproduce. Where no proven wizarding wizarding ancestry exists, therefore, the so-called Muggle-born is likely to have obtained magical power by theft or force. The Ministry is determined to root out such usurpers of magical power, and to this end has issued an invitation to every so-called Muggle-born to present themselves for interview by the newly appointed Muggle-born Registration Commission. Ron then Ripple says, People won't let this happen. It is happening, Ron, said Lupin. Muggleborns are being rounded up as we speak. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a super. Again, I think it will eternally be relevant. Sometimes more than others, particularly. You know, I mean, this book very much in particular, and this movie very much harkens and and calls upon uh, Nazi imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times, the movie leans into it real hard mm-hmm. with the choice of the um, outfits for the 
people who work for the, the ministry and that sort of thing. And But we also get mentions in the book, of which we'll talk about later. Yeah, of I have that are, notes about yeah. that later. Um, but it's, it's a super... It's a super important message that if they could have found a way to work into the book, that, that the idea that, you know, Ron, the sort of naive Ron, people won't let this happen. And Lupin's like fucking yes. happening. Man. Yeah, we're already there. Yeah. It's the same thing that happened <laughs> 60 years ago. People won't let this happen. Yeah. No, people will let this happen unless people who have the power and the ability to to say and, and do otherwise stand up and say something about it. So it. uh, Yeah. A very salient point that I wish they would have found a way to work into the movie. But I do agree that cutting that scene wasn't yeah. overall that scene wasn't the worst worst thing in the world. Oh, and then another creature moment. They do we do finally get Mundungus in this film, which is mm-hmm. nice. Uh he had to be in it for yeah. relevant plot details and moments. Uh but he shows up at this point. Uh Harry tells Creature to go find Mundungus, which is one of the things that creatures have very happy to do because he fucking hates him because he stole a bunch of stuff from the black mm-hmm. house. Uh, but he ultimately finds Mundungus, and when he gets him back to the black house, uh, he's hitting him. He gets they, they show up in the kitchen, and he's beating him with a frying pan. And this is another great little character moment for Creature. And again, if this happened in the movie, we just missed it. But I, I doubled. I, don't I think didn't think it happened. happened. He's hitting him, and Harry eventually orders him to stop hitting him. Mm-hmm. And Creature turns around to Harry and says, "Perhaps one more for luck." <laughs> You know, that's just a great moment because, again, Mundungus is, and we didn't mention earlier, but if you're listening to this, you probably know, the reason Moody is dead, essentially, is is because because Mundungus is a coward. And uh, he's been responsible for a bunch of nonsense that he's just a coward. I mean, it's his biggest thing. He's not a terrible person. He's just a coward and and is out for himself only. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, he at least attempts to try to be noble at times and do the right thing. But ultimately, he's just out for himself. Uh. But so it's a great moment of, of Creature beating the shit out of him with a frying pan, which is satisfying for us because we know, again, that Mad-Eye is dead <laughs> because of this asshole. So then they decide they need to break into... Yeah, because we, we find yes. out that Umbridge has the locket. Yeah. So they have to go to the ministry. Yeah, because she has a job back at the ministry. Well, not... Yeah. She has a different job now. She's the muggle persecutor-in-chief. Pretty Muggle-born much. persecutor-in-chief, but yeah. Uh, so they, they everything plays out pretty similarly. They go, they break into the ministry. They cut a little bit of the time. We time, kind of time jump in the in mm-hmm. the movie, but it's close enough. And they go to the ministry. And overall, I love the whole ministry scene. We'll talk about it later. But there's a couple little moments that they didn't include in this that yeah, I, I wish they had. You had a couple here. Um, a couple things when Harry gets into Umbridge's office, he sees. They're the like basically the wanted poster of himself. Yeah, undesirable and, number yeah. one. And it has a little like pink post-it note on it that yeah. says to be punished. Which is very umbrage. Yes. Yeah. And that would have been an easy detail yeah. to include. Um, there's a, another moment. Ron in his disguise has to go try to stop it from raining in yeah. one of the yeah. higher up. Yeah, senior minister, whatever min- uh, members, Yaxley? No, offices. Yeah, whatever. whatever. I don't it's the same guy in the movie. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So he, then he he gets out of there, and of course he's sopping wet because yeah. it's pouring down rain in this guy's office. Yeah. And I don't remember who says this to him. It's probably Harry, but or is it somebody else? I don't know. I or Arnold? It, or, or Arthur? Could it, it be because he runs Arthur, into his dad yeah. at one point. He ru- he runs. Ron runs into Arthur yeah. at one point. But, but. somebody says why are you so wet to yeah. him? And Ron just says, 
water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet it is when he runs into his dad because his dad tells him, oh, the same thing happened in Blank's office. Yeah. Try this spell. Yeah. And then Ron goes to do that, which we don't see in the movie. But his dad tells him how to stop it because I think the implication maybe being that perhaps Arthur might have been responsible <laughs> for this. I'm not saying that's what the implication is, but that's kind of the vibe you get from the book is that once Arthur sees this, you know, poor maintenance worker having to deal with this, he's like, I'll yeah. tell him how to stop it. Yeah. But I have a feeling Arthur was the one who did it. It's never stated, but that's always the vibe I got from it. Is that Arthur's fucking with these jerks. Oh, and this is a kind of a big one that is so weird to me that they didn't include because it's it's such an easy. Mm-hmm. And now they never allude. They never even explicitly state it. But we do see that when Harry goes into Umbridge's office that she has Mad-Eye Moody's eye. Yeah. In the book, it's mentioned that they looked for his body and never found it. Yeah. Um. She has Mad-Eye Moody's eye, which she uses to spy on all of her workers mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not, you know, getting up to nonsense or whatever. Um, and Harry, after he breaks into his office, when he's leaving, he takes the eye because he's like, I don't know if I can keep in Mad-Eye's eye. Yeah. Um, and takes it with them, which doesn't happen in the movie. And then there's a nice little moment later in the movie where Harry buries it in the woods somewhere. Just, you know, mm-hmm. again, it was like such a little thing that seems like it would have been easy. You would think to have. It's also the reason they get found out. Yes. When they're escaping, which I, I feel like it kind of would have the way they do it in the movie is fine where it's just kind of obvious that they're well in the movie. They start turning back into themselves. Right. Which makes I understand why they did that, which we'll talk about. Well, I don't know if we will. I don't think I had it, but I think we can talk about it here. I like actually kind of that they changes back into himself because you want that moment of Harry confronting Umbridge to be Harry mm-hmm. and not the random guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those, the body switch stuff is good for like visual gags and like humor, mm-hmm. but for like serious dramatic moments. No, I agree. It's a little bit yeah, lost. I think it, it works really well when he starts to say that I must not tell lies. And then line turns two into Harry. Yeah. Turning like into it's, himself. A, it's a great moment. Yeah. And so they wanted him to be Harry for that. So they, with him leaving, it doesn't really matter if they or find out that he stole the eye because they're, it's just Harry walking through the fucking ministry. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I, I get it, but I really wish still wish she would have taken Mad Eye's eye. Oh, and then when he's leaving, he leads a battalion. So they have a whole bunch of Muggleborns and half bloods or whatever in the outside of the courtroom, yeah, awaiting their trial or whatever. And Harry goes out there and he they like stunned the couple Death Eaters that are around, and he's like. We're getting the fuck out of here. And he leads like a fucking army of muggleborns yeah. out of the thing. And, and he punches a, I guess it's not a Death Eater. It might just be, oh, it is. It's a, a Death Eater working for the ministry at this point in the face. Yeah. Which <laughs> would have been fun. Uh, I really wish we would have saw Harry Potter punch a Death Eater in the face. But they cut it. That would have been a super contentious argument to have now. Should Harry punch a Death Eater? Yes. <laughs> The answer is yes. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Um, so then they have to go on the world's worst camping trip. Oh, the world's worst camping trip. Yes. Uh, and the movie, I think, does an overall good job with this. But one thing that doesn't come across in the movie is that they have no food. Yeah. They're basically starving. Because they can't go back to Grimald Place, which is what happens in the movie and the book, is that she tries to go back to Grimald Place, where they have some food because order people have been bringing them food. Mm-hmm. But they can't go back there because the, the guy was grabbed onto them and so she shook him off but he landed on the step at Grimald Place which means he can now get in there yes so they have to just go out in the middle of nowhere but they don't have any food with them 
because they were planning on going back to Grandma Place and having a kidney pie that Creature was preparing because yeah. that's another thing we don't get. Creature becomes like a great house elf and Grimald Place is like shining and clean and like he cooks some food all the time and stuff and we don't get any of that which would have been delightful. so bad for Creature. Yeah, we do see him later in this yes. book yes. in a triumphant return but uh, we'll, we'll get there in part two. But yeah, so they have no food and that's one of the main contributing factors to Ron's mood. Yeah. <laughs> which... Because Ron is spoiled. Yeah, Ron Ron likes his food. He's a growing boy. He's huge. He's like seven foot tall and he <laughs> needs his food. But yeah, he uh, they don't have any food. They're like eating mushrooms and like stealing eggs and yeah. like just scraping by. Which again, it's not as important as sort of the rest of it. But I I think it added to sort of the desperation. Because mm-hmm. when you yeah when you don't have food, it it things can get real desperate real quick. Because hello, you need food. And we find out, we get a fun little magic thing, like, why can't they just magic themselves food? You can't make food out of nothing. Yeah, apparently that's a thing you can't do. It is do. An, exception, an exception to one of Gamp's five laws or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, you can't create food out of whole cloth. You can multiply it if mm-hmm. you have it, uh, and you can summon it from yes. places, which, again, I feel like they could just summon and hope. <laughs> I guess the, well, the range I, on summoning charms isn't that far, but I mean there are moments when they have food though, because they're able to go like to like muggle yeah, supermarkets. Think they could multiply you'd that. think they would just keep mm, multiplying. Yeah, right, yeah. They do get some actual food a couple times yeah. and then still somehow are starving afterwards. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but whatever. Um but anyways, that's that they don't they don't ever really touch on that in the movie. Um also in the book, something the movie yeah. skips over, um, there is a scene where they uh, they don't meet up with these people, they but hear they, them they hear them outside having a conversation. It's some people that are on the run yeah. from the ministry slash Death Eaters. Because they are Muggleborns slash in the Order of the Phoenix slash yeah. Goblins. <laughs> yes. And it's a couple of them are people that we've met before. Yeah. There's uh, Ted Tonks, Who's who is Tonks's, Tonks's dad. dad. We don't meet him in the movie, but no. um, he's at the beginning of the book. Yeah. We meet up with him. Um, and there's Dean Thomas. Yeah. Who one we, of Harry's classmates. Yeah, who we know. Fellow Gryffindor. Um, who gets shafted in this movie. <laughs> he's actually in a lot of this movie, or book, rather. Yeah, he is, actually. Not a lot, but he's in the end of this. What would have been, the, he should have been in the end of this movie mm-hmm. if the, it were exactly what it was in the book. But I kind of understand why they dropped him, but I don't think they needed to. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, and then there's also Griphook, the yeah. goblin, who was the goblin that took Harry to his Gringotts vault yes. in the first book. Yeah. Quite the callback there. Yes, quite the callback. And they're all on the run together because, yeah, they're all kind of outcasts. Yeah. Um, and with a, another goblin yeah. whose name I don't remember. Some, and then yeah, another another guy that I don't think we had ever met no, before. No, some random guy. Um, so the, the movie cuts that... Um, and I was I was fine with that. I think it's yeah, it's a fine. Cut. It's fine. Um, the only thing that really happens there is the sword exposition. Yeah, yeah, that provides the exposition for the sword, which in the movie makes Hermione realize that the just sword is the, the sword. She's just out of fucking nowhere. She's just cutting Harry's hair yeah, and, and goes. And then all of a sudden, she's sword. like, "Wait a minute!" Yeah, yeah. She's like the sword. And this, they hear Griphook talking about the sword, and I mm-hmm. don't hate. I'm of two minds about this because one, I'm not sure the story as presented in the movie makes sense. Yeah. But the story as presented in the book is a little confusing and convoluted. It's a little convoluted. In the sense that it's the sword of Gryffindor was 
Griphook put the Sword of Gryffindor in Bellatrix Lestrange's vault. Mm-hmm. It's important that they know that it's there, to be fair, which I don't know how they're going to figure out they need to go to... Did, did that happen in this book? Or is that going to happen at the beginning of the next movie where they got to figure out they need to go to Bellatrix's vault? Well, they... That's going to be at the beginning of the next movie. Yeah. How are they going to figure that out? But they, they show her... They still show her freaking out. They show her freaking out in this movie. I'm saying, oh, but but they didn't hear... Well, but did she say it in the movie? Oh, I'd have to pay attention during that scene. Because here's the thing. The reason they know in the book that that there's a Horcrux in Bellatrix Lestrange's vault is because she starts freaking out when when Griphook tells her the sword is fake. No. When When she she sees the sword, she she thinks it's the sword that was... She thinks somebody broke into her vault. Right. And so she's terrified because she thinks maybe they got the Horcrux or whatever. Yeah. That means Harry now knows, or Hermione, whoever figures it out, I think it's Harry, figures out, because she freaked out, there's obviously something else important in there. Mm-hmm. It must be a Horcrux. Yeah, so we need to go there. We need to go there. Do that. The reason he knows that is because he heard Griphook earlier say that he put the sword in Bellatrix's vault. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that in the movie, and again, I just probably missed it, that she says something about her vault. Like this sword's supposed to be in my vault or something like that, or I, you know what well, I mean. One thing, um, I was a little confused by that in the movie. One thing that is in the book that we read in these chapters um, that isn't in the movie, and I'm assuming it's at the beginning of part two, is when he talks to Griphook right. and Ollivander. Right. So they're probably going to start. No, that out, is. I remember yeah, that in the beginning of the. They're next probably going to start out with that, and that will be the thing that clears things up. <sighs> yeah. I guess I'm still a little confused because Harry goes to Griphook saying I need to break into the vault because he knows the the sword's fake and he tells Griphook to tell he doesn't tell Griphook to In the book in he the tells movie, Griphook yeah. to tell Bellatrix the sword's fake and Griphook does in the movie Griphook just tells her it's fake for some reason he does you hear him yeah. say this is a fake I don't know so she doesn't think that the vault I, I was a little confused by all that and about how they were going to make that all add up and I'm not sure that it does and that they're just expecting us to not think about it too hard. Yeah. Maybe. But here we are. Here we are. Thinking yeah. about it. And I, I maybe somebody else could clarify this, but I was a little confused about how that all added up in the movie. It adds up in the book, mm-hmm. but it adds up slightly kind of weird. Like it's a little just kind of clunky and like. So I guess then maybe there's just no real good way to do it. It's either going to be a little bit convoluted or it's not going to pan out. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe the movie does make sense. And I just need to pay more attention. Again, I was writing notes about a million things, so I just may have missed. Well, why it I, made sense we'll see when we watch part two, but I, yeah. I'm betting they're going to like retcon it a Kinda little retcon, bit. And explain and, it. Yeah. yeah okay. And explain it away. Fair enough. We spent too long talking about this. Yes, Let's we move did. on. <laughs> uh. Uh, so they go to Godric Hollow, mm-hmm. which is important. Uh, also, they don't mention this in the movie, but I and I felt dumb. I feel like I didn't realize that it's named after Godric Gryffindor. I felt dumb like Harry because Harry yeah, also yeah, didn't both realize. Both you and Harry. I was like, oh yeah, duh. Yeah, Godric Hollow is named after Godric Gryffindor, and it's one of the oldest like wizarding towns. Like they kind of kind of similar to how uh, immigrants in coming to like America mm-hmm. stayed in groups. You know, there's like the. Chinatown and you know areas yeah. of that sort of thing. A similar idea where they're like these little villages around England that are like concentrations a, of wizards. A large wizarding and population. Godric's Hollow is one of the most you know, or one of mm-hmm. the most famous ones. Um, uh, pretty good overall this whole scene. But when they get there, there's a couple things I really wish they would have had in the movie. One is that they 
they see a World War II memorial or one, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And as they approach it, it changes from a World War II memorial into a memorial for Harry and his parents. Yeah. Which I thought was really would have been really cool. Yeah, it's really been interesting. Um and yeah, apparently the idea being that only wizards can see sort of that version mm-hmm. of it, but muggles just see a World War II memorial. Um, also, they do, and I thought they were going to leave this out of the movie, but they leave, they keep it in. They go and they see Harry's house, which has yes. been preserved in a state where of how it was the night it Voldemort attacked, mm-hmm. where the roofs kind of collapsed from the spell backfiring. Um, and it, you know they have a nice little moment there in the movie, but in the book, there's a really cool moment where when he gets there, he, he puts his hand on the gate and a like a like a, a sign comes a up. signpost comes up like you know like you're at a historical site or something yeah and it says like you know here on this on on this site on October thirty first nineteen eighty one or whatever the date was yeah. um and they kind of little history and what the, what is cool about it though is that uh, people who have come to this place have all signed like graf- graffitied on it that and it's all stuff like. We tr- believe in Harry Potter, you yeah. know, like support. It's, yeah, basically. It's, a, it's a nice moment of uh, the the wizarding community, or at least part of it, yeah. really is behind him. Yeah, and 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 it's something Harry really needed in that moment because Hermione says something like, "Oh, I can't believe people wrote all over it," and Harry's like, "I'm super glad they did." Like, it yeah. makes him feel like you know, people. There are people that believe me and believe mm-hmm. in me, and you know, and don't. It's not the whole world against me. <laughs> Oh, another thing that gets left out is that Harry, we've established that he can sometimes read Voldemort's thoughts. Yeah. Um, And when he goes there, he kind of like has this Voldemort flashback to the night that his parents died. And we actually get to see it. Yeah. Like the whole thing play out basically from the time Voldemort comes to the house until the spell backfires. Yeah. Um, which we hadn't really. We'd only ever seen brief glimpses of yeah, like it. Yeah, bits and pieces. Um, but we get the whole thing play out, which is yeah, it's intense. But it would have been, it would have been very intense and sort of, I don't want to say cool to see, but would have would have added to it a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, when he so they get in, they they talk to Bathilda. All that stuff happens. Uh, at one point when he's talking to her, and I don't remember exactly what happens here. It might be when the snake realizes it's. Harry or something happens and the, the locket freaks out because Harry's mm-hmm. wearing the locket around his chest and it turns like white hot and like sears into his chest. And so he has this locket scar on his chest yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I don't know how you necessarily show that in the movie because, again, he's, it's under his clothes and it's there's not really a good way necessarily to show that in that scene because we, we just read that it happens. Mm-hmm. And, but. Um, there's also a moment later in the book where Harry's taking stock of all the injuries he has sort of suffered over the course of his battle against <laughs> Voldemort. And he has this scar from the locket on his chest. He has the scar, obviously, on his head. And he has another one on his arm. Oh, the basilisk. Yeah. Or not the basilisk. Uh, Nagini bites him yeah. after this scene. Yeah, and he has yeah. the scar from the snake bite on his arm. And so he's just like taking stock of the toll this battle is taking on him. <laughs> and it's, I think there's something poetic about, not poetic maybe is the right word, but sort of poignant, poignant, but just a moment of Harry in the movie where we see the physical toll this is taking on him mm-hmm. would have been a good, I mean, we kind of see it just in general, but a moment of him getting dressed where we see this locket scar on his chest and the 
you know, the fang bites on his arm and it's just, you can see the toll it's taking on him, I think would have really added weight to the yeah. overall yeah. sort of like, no, Jesus, this is not, you know, this is rough. It's not, not easy for him. Oh, and they drop all of the Dumbledore stuff. Yes. Which is, and maybe they'll have more in part two. Possibly. Like, Dumbledore, it turns out, has a kind of shady past. A very uh, dark past. Yeah. Uh, he was friends with Grindelwald for a summer and was very sympathetic. Not only sympathetic, but also promoting the ideas like, that... Like, instrumental. Yes, in, in the rise of, of Grindelwald's ideas that uh, wizards should rule over yeah. humans, uh, muggles. Um, and in fact, we see a letter, we read a letter written by Dumbledore, and it has a lot of language in it. And you can see, you can, it's written very well in the sense that you can see the misguided, mm-hmm. like, this is terrible, but from a weird, like, it, it, ignorant, misguided youth, you can see, he's like, look, we need to rule over the muggles, or we need, we, we can just take our place over the muggles for their for the betterment of them you know Mm -hmm. and it's awful and it's gross but it's like i think it's written in a way that where you can see that it's something that he even though he's saying awful things he's coming from some place of at least a veiled like attempted like uh it's i mean it's that old kind of writing adage of like every villain thinks they're the hero of their own story right kind of a thing right yeah and and but it's it's also yeah that and then you know it's I think this movie does, or the book does a good job of sort of touching on the idea of somebody having truly horrible ideas but then growing and learning yes and overcoming that and then spending the rest of their life fighting against that yeah. um, and but it's it's also the very interesting which again the movie doesn't do any of this of Harry dealing with it and coming to terms with this sort of like. Yeah, because Harry essentially has, his, he has like a crisis of faith yes. throughout the whole book, throughout faith the, in Dumbledore. Yeah, which is somewhat there in the movie when in terms of like, well, we can't find these horcruxes. What are we doing? We don't know where we're going. Why didn't Dumbledore tell us any of this stuff? But in the book, it's super, it's not only that, it's, well, Dumbledore didn't tell me anything. He was mm-hmm. this like, basically like this racist when he was younger and he was working with Grindelwald and he was basically on board with Grindelwald's plan to like overthrow muggles and take, you know, take over the world and all that sort of thing. And he had these really kind of dark, like power aspirations. And the Dumbledore I knew is this kindly old grandpa wizard, you know, who's (laughs) like, we muggles are really great. We should love muggles and take care of them, you know, like that sort of thing. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. And he's like, does that all a lie? Was Dumbledore everything he, told me about and you know all the sort of views he espoused when i knew him was that all just a facade like what's the real dumbledore and i think that's a really interesting Mm -hmm. character narrative but we don't get it in the movie yeah i can see how it's tough to kind of keep again we're losing thematic elements yeah for the sake of plot i think it would have been hard to portray yeah because a lot of letters it's a lot of book reading is part of it it's a lot of letters and and reading rita skeeter's books articles and (laughs) and all this different um yeah all of that he looks at all of that is portrayed through reading stuff yes which in in a movie is not and reading stuff and inner monologue yeah (laughs) both of which are boring to portray in a film yeah so i can see why it's tough to do and why they didn't do it but yeah it's 
But yeah. it is really interesting. It is really interesting, compelling stuff. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that it wasn't in the movie as much. And maybe we'll get some of it in Crimes of Grindelwald, but <laughs> probably not. Uh, we both had this note, so I'll let you take this one. All right. So uh, Ron shows up again. We get the we get the sword and all that. The moment where Harry finds and follows the doe to the pool, yeah. sees the hair or the sword, and attempts to get it out of the lake. Yeah. And and Ron is there to pull him out of the lake. Yeah. When the when the Horcrux tries to drown him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll talk about all that more in a, yeah. a later segment. Um, but there's there's one line in the book that. I don't know why they didn't put in the movie. It makes so much sense. It's yeah. so good. Because uh, basically, Harry is kind of relating Because Ron is happened. still feeling shitty. Yeah. And Ron's and, like, or Harry, yeah. And Harry's like, you just saved my life yeah. and uh, blah, 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 blah. And you jumped kinda, in there. You, you pulled got, the yeah. sword out. You saved me. You did all this yeah. stuff. And Ron's like, oh, you make it sound way cooler than it was. Yeah. And Harry says... Stuff like that always sounds cooler than it really was. I've been trying to tell you that for years. Which is like a perfect encapsulation of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the hero worship Ron has for him and Ron's own insecurity. And then, yeah, it's just because it was the same thing Harry was trying to explain in book five. When they're do starting the DA where Harry's they're like, you defeated the basilisk. You got you stopped. Uh. What's his name in the uh, quarrel in the yeah. and got the kept him from getting the sorcerer's stone. You know, you did this, you did that, you completed the maze, and he's like, I had all this help. It wasn't that big of a deal. It's not that cool. And it, yeah, it's the exact same moment where Harry gets to turn that around on Ron and be like, yeah. Dude, I told you. <laughs> when you do it, it doesn't feel like you're doing these grand, impressive things. You're just doing stuff. Um, a lot more stuff happens with Ron. Which yeah. we'll talk about later because yeah. I thought all that was pretty good. Yeah. Um. Then they go to see, uh, the Love Goods. Yeah. Um. You had their house in a different section. I do. I uh, in general, at least the interior. I I, I thought the interior okay. was good. Um. The outside, because they say in in the, in the book that it looks like a giant rook. Yeah. Which is like a, a tower. Yeah, like a, like a, the chess piece, yeah. which is yeah, like a tower, like a. a um, but I didn't really think it looked like that in the movie. No, not really. It is kind of yeah, like it's tower shaped. Yeah, but it doesn't look like a tower. I yeah. I didn't think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought it was fine, and I I again I was I guess I just wasn't paying attention enough when I saw the exterior. Of I thought it. it looked more like a lopsided silo. Fair enough. That's my hot take on the Lovegood's house. <laughs> Fair enough. Um. <laughs> Uh, they, they cut this moment, which uh, I had to include because it's one of my favorite Hermione moments in the whole series. Um, they're arguing with basically basically uh, Lovegood's telling him about the hollows and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, oh, no, this exists. And Hermione's like, no, this doesn't exist. Oh, actually, this is before even the hollows. This is when they're talking about the crumpled horn Scornack, I think. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, because she's explaining that this big horn they have on the wall is an a rumpet horn, which is like super dangerous. He's like, no, it's a, cr- a crumpled horn Scornack horn or whatever. I love. Can I just side note real quick? I love all of the creatures that the Lovegoods believe in because yeah. they all sound like Dr. Seuss creatures. Yeah, yeah. I think very, very clearly intentionally. Yeah. Um, but they have this argument and basically... Uh, Lovegood says, as uh, Xenophilia says, something along the lines of like, well, nobody's proved that it doesn't exist. And Hermione says, you could say anything exists if the only basis for believing it is that nobody proved it doesn't exist. And 
this is road. Oh, Hermione, be still my skeptical heart. Because uh, it's, I love Hermione the skeptic uh, as it's, a, it's an ideology I'm, I'm fond of. And uh, I think she does a fairly good job in this series of being the consummate skeptic. And that line in particular, I thought was good. And I wish they'd had it in the movie, but they, they don't. So. I get that. <laughs> Although I also think like at this point in the series, you'd think she'd be more like, okay, well, a lot of weird shit does exist, so maybe this is possible. Fair enough. Not that it's not possible, but that point still stands. I know. <laughs> I just because say it didn't. If you're only, if all you can say is that nobody says it, it can prove it doesn't exist, that's not a good basis to believe it does. But yeah. Um, anyways. In the context of the book, it's not necessarily, but just as a standalone yeah. line, it's, I like it. And I'm I'm talking more along the lines of like her insistence that like the Elder Wand can't exist. Right. It's like okay, we're in a universe where people can rip pieces of their souls out and put them into an object. Yeah. Why not an all powerful well, wand? I, I still think that even in that universe, you still should remain skeptical to things like that that seem incredibly like. Uh, and she comes along pretty quickly. Yeah. Once she starts getting more evidence and more, you know. <laughs> She changes her beliefs with accordance to the evidence, which is what I believe you should do. It doesn't mean you just because you're skeptical of something doesn't mean you're like, nope, can't, no, no, no. Like she does eventually go, yeah, all right, fine, sure. Yeah, this probably exists. I believe you. Um, but yeah, I think a, a tempered skepticism at, at the thought that this thing from a kid's story is a real thing. Like, yeah, she'd probably be a little skeptical of that. Um, so we miss a couple little things in the, yeah. the love good scene. Um that just didn't make it into the movie. Um, at one point, the the core three are all talking about which the Hallows, the Hallows. They talk about which one they would pick. They would pick. They all say a different one. Yeah. Um, and Harry immediately says he would choose the stone, which killed me. Yeah. So of course, because the stone, as uh, in case you're unaware, is the uh, the item that allows you to bring people back from the dead. Yeah. In in the lore. In, in a manner of speaking. In a manner of speaking, again, it's ultimately it's it's a. Uh, a cheap life, but a half life or what, you know, yeah. whatever. It's not quite, but still Harry and his desperation to have any of the loved ones he has lost back. Yeah. is like fucking right. Yeah. The stone immediately. <laughs> I've literally lost almost everybody <laughs> I love. So, um, and then Hermione, uh, gets off a great burn on Ron. <laughs> um, cause Ron would, he says he would want the wand. Yeah. The elder wand, the undefeatable wand. Yeah. Cause again, um, he's power hungry and, and insecure. He's and, insecure. Yeah. yeah. Not power hungry. Um, but he, right. he makes the argument that it would be just fine if you could keep your trap shut about it. And Hermione's like, yeah, Ron, but could you keep <laughs> yeah. your trap shut? I know. Fucking got him. For real. I was like, Ron said that. I'm like, Ron, that is one of the least <laughs> self-aware things you've ever said. Do you know who you are? <laughs> not keeping your trap shut and then and then there was another <laughs> sexual innuendo in my good christian harry potter books yeah uh hermione says uh some wizards just like to boast that theirs meaning wands uh are bigger and better than other people's mm -hmm. yes, yep they do. Yes, yes they, they do. do this is sucks i can't believe they cut this out <laughs> Again, I just love M M Luna in general, uh, and I think her portrayal in the movies is one of the best things about the movies. She's not in it enough, but it's fine. And she's actually in it a fair amount relevant mm -hmm. compared to the books. But um, they go up to her room when they're in the Lovegood house, and they they go into her room, and 
I thought they did in the movie, and you thought this as well. They just don't yeah. go to her room in the movie. Yeah, I while I was reading that, and I was feeling, I was thinking, like, I feel like I remember that they didn't do justice to her room. Yeah. So I made a note about it. And yeah, it's not in the movie it's at all. It's not in the movie at all. But the best part of it, and the thing that's the sweetest moment of it, and I think would really, I think it would have been a really easy thing to include one quick second of that would have upped and made up to the stakes of Luna being not there. Like mm-hmm. may remind us why we care about Luna so much in that moment and why Xenophilius cares about her so much. I mean, obviously it's his daughter, but like, yeah. but they go up to her room and they see that she is hand painted, not magically has hand painted a mural on her ceiling. That is portraits of her, not her, sorry, of Harry, Hermione, Ron, Ginny and Neville. Mm hmm. And it has like this gold ribbony looking stuff running between all of them. And when he looks closer, he realizes it's the word friends over and over yeah. and over again. And it's like the sweetest thing in the whole world. Like she's just so happy to have friends. Yeah. And she it's just adorable. And it's just it would have been a little moment to have. And probably maybe it's in the deleted scenes. I, again, that feels like the kind of thing that when you're writing and adapting this movie, you'd be like, that's a moment we need to have just to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's in the deleted scenes because, again, it's not really plot, quote unquote, important, but yeah, but it would have been nice. I think uh, Hermione's escape in the book is way cooler than it is in the movie. Oh, in the, for sure. In the movie, the Death Eaters show up and just kind of blow shoot holes. Yeah, through they, the, they, they, they they like machine as, gun. Well, they show up as their smoke cells. Yeah, they do. Again, find, or randomly, they come back as smoke Death Eaters and they basically do like an old school gangster like shoot up where you know like in a gangster movie where they roll up outside the bar or whatever that yeah and and they like unload a bunch of machine gun (laughs) rounds through the wall and our 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 heroes dive to the floor and crawl around to avoid the bullets that's what happened literally that's what happens in this scene and uh they ultimately just end up finding each other grabbing a hold of each other and apparating out Mm -hmm. in the movie it's this super crazy thing where xenophilius they come in and they talk to xenophilius and they're like you said potter was here and he's like, they're upstairs. Or he's like, he's upstairs. Just go up there and look. And they're like, you better not be lying. And he basically tells Xenophilius to go up there first. Well, because they scan the house and realize there are other people in the house. Mm-hmm. And he, he Xenophilius comes up the stairs. Hermione obliviates him so that he doesn't remember them being there. Or, or what they talked about or anything like that. And then she blows a hole in the floor so that they fall through down to the first level. <laughs> So that the Death Eaters can see that they were actually there and that Xenophilius wasn't lying. Yeah. And then as they're falling through the floor, she grabs them and apparate. Well, she grabs them beforehand. But as they're falling through the floor, she turns and they apparate out of the house. And she even has the forethought in that moment to make Ron put on the invisibility cloak. So that they don't know know he's not laid up at home with Spattergroyd. Just like and she does all this in a matter of like 30 seconds. She comes up with this plan. And it's one of those things where it's so brilliant and so like. I really wish they would have included that. And now she's brilliant throughout the movie in all kinds of ways. But it was like that the the level of quick thinking she had to to, to be on to put that plan together in that moment. And to and it just shows how thoughtful she is. She was thinking not only about getting them out of there safely, but that she didn't want Xenophilia. She was doing her best to make it so that the love goods didn't get too much mm-hmm. terrible repercussions because she clears his memory and then makes sure they see her and them. Yeah. So that they don't think he was lying and then fucking kill him for lying to him or whatever. It's like, ah, and that would have been great. But. 
The things we could have had. Yeah. Um, so you have a note here about Harry's insistence that the hollows are I think important. this is an interesting idea, and they don't really do it in the movie much. Yeah, the well, they don't, have, they don't ever get a chance to even talk about it. They them. just go right on yeah. this from here. This jumps from this moment to the end of the movie, whereas Pretty the book, much. we have like an extra 50 pages or something in here. Maybe not that much. Yeah, but it's an extra little chapter, chapter. Where, they're still, where they're just hanging out camping still. Yeah. And they're discussing whether or not they should look for the Hallows or whether or not they should go try to find the Horcruxes. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this conflict within Harry of, and he wants to look for the Hallows because he thinks if I find them all, I'm, he thinks this is what Dumbledore wants him to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the movie, uh, they kind of just move right on. But it's this interesting conflict between their, Ron and Hermione are like, no, we got to find the Horcruxes. That's what you're, that's what Dumbledore told us to do. Yeah. This fact that we've kind of found these Hallows through some of the clues he left we're not thinking that's as important as finding the Horcruxes. And Harry's like, no, 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 we got to find the Hallows. And it's just, I, I thought it was interesting. I kind of get why they dropped it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also just kind of wander around aimlessly for a while. So again, I get why they dropped it. Well, and I'm wondering, it's been so long since I've seen at least the beginning of part two. I catch the end of it on TV every now and then. Yeah. But um, I'm wondering if they'll have any of that at the beginning of the movie. Because with the way they cut out that extra... Yeah. stuff in between going to the love goods and then the scene with the snatchers uh, yeah. and they don't even they don't have time to discuss the hollows and no movie. i know i know but now that voldemort has it the wand because yeah. that's the other thing is that harry ultimately has to decide do i want to am i more worried about the horcruxes or am i more worried about the hollows and he decides he's more worried about the horcruxes and that essentially kind of lets voldemort get to the wand yeah because he thinks he could have found out where the wand was first and gotten to it but he doesn't decide to do that. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how Voldemort gets the wand, which is where the movie ends. So, uh, I don't know. Anyways, oh, the only other little thing is the radio show, which they kind of have hints of the radio show yeah. throughout the but movie. But they don't ever like discuss what it is or no. anything. No, we just kind of hear snippets of it at times of Ron listening to it. But in the movie or in the book, it's uh, a radio show produced by the Order, essentially. Yeah. It's like and, a resistance radio yeah, show where all the other radio show, all the other news radio and stuff is all like bullshit propaganda from the ministry mm -hmm. but this one radio show is like real shit and but it's got like lupins on it and kingsley shacklebolts on it and it's hosted by lee jordan who was the uh which is great it's kind of a little moment callback to he's fred and george's friend who was the announcer the quidditch yeah. announcer yeah. from the first two books uh but he so he does a radio show now um so there's a nice little moment with that but i also thought this was a good little moment is that they're talking about how they you can help muggles, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, go out. Look, look. it'd be a simple thing. If you live around a bunch of muggles, go out, cast a couple protection spells around their houses. Yeah. It's like yeah. takes you no time, no effort, and you can maybe save a few muggles. And Lupin says, well, what would you say to people who say in a time like this, wizards first? And Kingsley's like having none of it. Or he explains why that's a fucking stupid yeah. thing. He goes, it is, it is a very quick and easy transition from wizards first to wizards only. Yeah, to, to, to pure bloods to first. To pure bloods first. To, to death eaters first. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very quick and slippery slope uh, in the non-fallacious sense from to wizards first to that. And I was like, wizards first, what does that remind me of? What is wizards first similar to? It's like a thing somebody says about something first. Anyways, gosh, <laughs> where have I heard that before? 
Man, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and then they get caught by Snatchers. Yeah, um, except that the You're way right, the, the way the no movie sense. has them get caught by Snatchers makes no sense. Yeah, they leave the Love Goods and they apparate back to the forest. Um, and they're like, okay, let's start getting set up. And then the Snatchers are there. Yeah. And they all start running. And I'm like, why wouldn't they just immediately apparate somewhere yeah. else? Like, they were a few feet apart from each other. But yeah, they could have. But they could have just, yeah, instead of. And they can all apparate. Yeah. They just do it together so that they all end up at exactly the same spot. Right. And Hermione's the best at it. So it's, it's easier. But they can all apparate. They all do it throughout the book at different times individually. Yeah. So if they had to, they could just all go there. But in the book, they don't have their wands, right? Or what, why don't they do it in the book? Well, they don't do it in the book because the, the Snatchers basically come up upon them while they're in the tent. Right. Because Harry says Voldemort. Which right. Has... Accidentally. Right. But I guess my idea is then why don't they just in the tent apparate? Because I think the idea is that they're already like they're like pointing their wands at them. So even if they tried to apparate, they could probably still get yeah. like they could get stunned first or they like the snatchers could like get a curse off. Or maybe they couldn't because they already put up their protective charms or no, wait, did they? Well, they did. But then they dropped because of the taboo. Yeah. Which the know. taboo is never explained in the movie. No, taboo is not mentioned. Yeah. But they, it's funny because they do set it up. Maybe it'll come back in part two because they do set it up where when they get caught in the cafe, mm -hmm. as they're leaving, Hermione or somebody goes, how did they know we were there? Yeah. So they set up the taboo, but they, but don't, they, don't, they don't ever pay it talk off. Talk about it in this one, which again, maybe that shows up in part two. They'll explain that. Or yeah, something. maybe. Anyways. Is that how they? Yeah, they just show up in, in the movie. The Snatchers are just They're just there. there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the idea we're supposed to get is that they like accidentally apparated right into this group of yeah, snatchers, or something. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so then they, the snatchers, take them to the Malfoys, the Malfoy state. Manor. Yeah, the manor. Uh, and there's a little moment in the book, a quick mention. We find out that the, the Malfoys keep albino peacocks <laughs> yeah, peacock. on their like what an asshat. Fucking wood. <laughs> You would. Yeah. This is a big change. Now, they must save this for part two. Maybe. They must. So, in the book, Peter Pettigrew strangles himself to death. Yeah. With his magic hand. Or, Good sorry, death. his magic hand strangles himself to death. He doesn't do it. This is a callback to book four. Yes. When Voldemort gives him a magical silver hand to replace the one he sacrifices to yeah. give Voldemort his body back. Yes. But it's also a callback to three when Harry decides to spare yes. Pettigrew because uh, Lupin and Sirius are going to kill him. And yeah. Harry says, no, don't. And and basically it's an idea of, you know, that sort of yeah. moment of because Harry reminds Pettigrew yeah. when he comes down into the cellar, he reminds him, hey, I spared your life that time. Remember? Yeah. Well, it's while he's killing him. So they Harry and Ron jump him in the movie. Uh, Dobby just knocks Pettigrew out. Yeah. In the book, Harry and Ron jump him when he comes into the mm -hmm. into the cell with them and and steal his wand. But as they're taking his wand, Pettigrew starts choking Harry to death. And as he's choking him to death, Harry goes, "You're gonna kill me, even though I saved you yeah. four years ago or whatever." And uh, Pettigrew stops and he has this moment of like, yes. "No." And when that happens, it triggers this. So then, yeah, his his hand basically turns on him. Yeah. And he strangles himself to death. Yeah. Um, 
so because of who he chose to align himself with, yeah. uh, that single moment of of mercy of hesitation is yeah. his undoing. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's something. It's intense, and it's. Yeah. I was really like, wow, I can't believe they changed that or didn't yeah. include that. And Harry and Ron try to stop it, even like they yeah, try to try to try pry to, the hand off of him, and to no avail. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they try not to let, let it happen, but it, they can't do anything about it. And Pettigrew is just dead. Yeah. And that's that's the end of him. Uh, everything else plays out. We'll talk about that in later segments. Uh, there's one line. And again, this I this isn't a better in the book necessarily because it's it's a line of not di- it's not it's, dialogue. It's a line of prose. It's a line of prose. Um, but it's the end after Dobby dies. Uh, and Harry's sitting there with him uh, holding his body. There's this line that. Uh, J.K. Rowling wrote, and I it was super brutal, and I didn't remember it. It's beautiful, but like super dark. Uh, and I, uh, it, I'll just read it. And then, with a little shudder, the elf became quite still, and his eyes were nothing more than great glassy orbs sprinkled with light from the stars they could not see. Like that is it's brutal. <sighs> beautiful it's beautiful and brutal yeah. like that's what i said it's a it's a brilliant line and it's a it's a brilliant little piece of prose as you said i, I understand why it's not in the movie like right. there's not really a way to <laughs> include that in the movie unless you have a narrator but like ugh, yeah just um ugh. one little thing that i missed um in the movie was that when they when they bury dobby harry digs the grave which is what happens in the movie as well. Um, But they have like a a little burial service for him in the book. And um, everybody takes off a piece of their own clothing and puts it on him. Yeah. Yeah. And on to add on to that, which we, we didn't mention we should have, is that it makes no sense. Dobby's only wearing his. Yeah. He's wearing like a pillowcase and shoes. Yeah. In this movie, which doesn't make any sense. Because ever since Harry set him free, he always wears nonsense clothes all the time. And it's just like he keeps adding clothes. Yeah. He's, so he's like always wearing like, like a million layers. Yeah. And just like, yeah, he, he doesn't ever take the clothes off. He just keeps adding yeah. new ones. And, he, and his, <laughs> his favorite clothes are socks. And he always has different colored socks. And yeah. Harry gives him socks again because he's been in previous books. He hasn't been in any movie since two, but he's been in a bunch of books since then. Um, and yeah, it's, so it doesn't really make and uh, the only reason I think they kept him in the his like white smile it is cleaner i think but yeah. like is so that it's more recognizable right. as like yeah. oh dobby right i remember that from the second book since we haven't seen him since since that one but and then i think i'm gonna put this here because i don't know and if it is then we'll just talk about it in the next one but it's this is the moment i cried in the book is when harry makes the gravestone mm-hmm. and it says here lies dobby a free elf that, there's yeah, there's a I'm chance I could. Ninety nine percent sure that's at the beginning, beginning of, of the yeah. next movie, uh, if I remember correctly, and I I couldn't remember, but I just wanted to mention it in case it's not, because if it's not, how dare they? <laughs> but I think it is. So that's so it, it. We'll come back to you on that yeah. one. <laughs> that's it. That's it for better in the book. Uh, again, not so much a lot of better stuff. It's just some stuff they left out. Not not a ton yeah. of like big changes. Um, it's a lot of little little, little details and, and lines and things that yeah. you wish would have been in the movie. Yeah, but not not huge changes or anything like yeah. really uh, uh, terrible. So let's uh, move on to Muggle Questions Part 2. I wrote down this question and then I listened to your last episode on the Half-Blood Prince. And you answered it there. So you don't necessarily need to answer it again. This is completely up to you. Where did Bill Weasley come from? Where has he been this entire time? 
Oh boy. So we, we've alluded to this. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, this Bill Weasley and his relationship with Flora Delacour has been set up literally since book four. Yeah. Um, he just hasn't been in any of the any movies. movies. He's been in book four, book five, book six, yeah. and now book seven. Um, Maybe not five. The movie but. tries to squeeze a bunch of like background info that they've been leaving out of the movies yeah. up to this point into like an approximately twenty second exchange yep. before they leave Privet Drive. Yeah, but clearly it did not work because yeah. Trevor was like, "Wait a minute, yeah, what?" <laughs> yeah, they show up and they're like, "Hey, by the way, Bill Weasley, nice to meet you, Harry. I'm Bill. Uh, this is my yeah, you, I'm married. Remember Floor? You remember Floor? Uh, we're getting married uh, in like a week. Uh, oh, this scar." Fenrir Greyback did that to me. Moving on. Oh, and also Lupin and Tonks are together now. And they're having a baby. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. like slam that all into like, yeah, <laughs> 30 seconds. And that, that's been stretched out and piecemealed to us over the course of like four books or three books. So, oh. yeah. So it's, yay for that. Yeah. And I, Trevor did mention that he kind of got the answer to this in the, in the last episode. He wrote these before he listened to that. Yeah. So, again. Does the book go into any reasoning why Creature is so prejudiced against Mudbloods? Creature is a prejudice against Mudbloods because Creature was raised by the, or not raised, uh, was the house elf for the blacks. Yeah. Uh, and the blacks were notorious, racist, pureblood garbage. Um, their motto, their family motto is always pure. Yeah. So, yeah, he just basically been indoctrinated into hating mm-hmm. Mudbloods and being super obsessed with being pure blood and, and and all that sort of uh the the thinly veiled uh analogy for racism in this book not thinly veiled the very obvious yeah. and, and intentional analogy for racism in this book but it's it's through creature is one of the ways that we get that idea of that like you're taught to hate yes it's, yeah it's a learned thing and that you can learn not to yeah and he and, which he, he kind of starts he, to yeah he learned that from his family and he starts to unlearn it with his new family yeah yep did i miss something on why creature obeys harry so easily the movie really didn't explain it this is a dark thing uh when sirius died creature passes into harry's ownership we mentioned that sirius willed all of his worldly possessions to harry um, so that means that creature is bound to serve yeah. Harry by, they keep calling it house elf law, but I wonder if it's actually wizard law. Yeah, I have a feeling it's more of wizard law that they call from the, house yeah, elf law. From, but maybe it's been going on for so long that now they just think that it's house elf law right. yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. Which that's one of the things we'll talk about in our problematic things in Harry yeah. Potter episode. So <laughs> the mm. whole problem with house elves. Um but yeah, that's that's why. And also the, a lot of it, we talked about a little bit how it gets left out. Uh, a lot of the moments with between Harry and Creature in this get left out. Not only is he bound to serve Harry and has to do what he tells him. On top of that, Harry starts making uh, sort of extending olive branches to mm-hmm. Creature by giving him the locket. By uh, The first thing he asks him to do is to go find Mundungus, which Creature is happy to do anyways. Yeah. Like yeah. The fact that Harry asks him to do it, he's like... Sure. Like, I want to go find that asshole and get him anyway. So yeah. You're just giving me an excuse by telling me to. Harry is able to stop thinking of Creature as a creature. Yeah. Um, and start treating Real him. Real subtle name yeah. there, JK. Well, she's always very subtle. <laughs> yeah. Very subtle with the names. Um, but she, he's able to start treating him with more humanity and empathy and compassion. And yeah. 
that does a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And yeah, by the time we see, and again, none of this is in the movie, but by the time we last see Creature in this book so far uh, with where we are, he has come around to being uh, considerably amenable to them and mm-hmm. is starting to, again, transition out of his sort of horrible ways. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's time. Better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. All right, we both had this one. I think it's a very positive change. I think this movie made a lot of good additions and nailed a bunch of stuff, which we'll yeah, talk about. Yeah. But here's what I want to talk about. I'll talk about it right now. I think it's a good place. Uh, I remember seeing this movie with Trevor in theaters. We saw. I, oh, this, yeah? this, I think these are the first. Two, this one and two were like the only ones I saw with Trevor in theaters because it was came out while I was in college. And Trevor, I remember at the time had no idea what was going on. Now, I don't remember how many of the previous movies he had seen, but here's the thing. I This movie has pretty good critical reviews, mm-hmm. and I think if you're paying a lot of attention and, and really caught up on the first six books or movies, this would make a lot of sense. I think this movie is maybe the perfect counterpiece or adaptation. I don't want to say perfect adaptation, but I think what this movie does really well is that if you've read the book, it does a really good job of adapting it and makes sense. And you can fill in all the holes mm-hmm. if you've read the book, but it's also not incomprehensible if you haven't like some yeah. of the elements of four and five, you're like, how would you follow this? Yes. If you haven't read the book, this would be tough to follow, but it doesn't not make sense. Mm-hmm. And the plot isn't like, wait, what? Like really convoluted <laughs> and like weird. Like you get it. Like they're searching for the Horcruxes. They got to find them. You know, and that Harry or Trevor, I don't did it again. He said I can keep wanting to call Trevor Harry. Um, Trevor didn't have a million questions in this yeah. one. It seemed like he was able to somewhat follow it. But there is a lot where it's like there's a lot. And again, it's the little things they left out that you you can fill in with the book. And so I think it's a really spot on adaptation. And rem- mm-hmm. I remember liking part one and part two mm-hmm. of this one a lot more than some of the previous ones. And it reminded me a lot more of movie one and movie two where they were a lot more faithful, again, partially because they were able to split it into two yes. movies. Not partially, a big they, part because yeah, they were I able to split it. Yeah, I think they gained a lot from that decision. Being able to split it into two movies. But one of the things they added was we get to see Hermione, uh, uh, well, in the movie, obliviate her parents. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. That's um, not what happens in the book. She says she, in the book, she just tells us she modified her parents' memory. Yes. And told them all, and again, we get more info on it in the book. Again, which kind of to my point that if you've, Watch the movie, you're like, oh, that's really good. Really cool to see her. Not cool. Like, really heartbreaking and a great moment mm-hmm. to see Hermione memory charm her parents and then her, you know, fading out of the pictures yeah, and like all that. All the pictures disappear. Very then. visually, uh, you know, heartbreaking and that sort of thing. And it's a good counter or a good uh, visual point to what we get in the book where we get all the backstory in the book and, like, what she's doing and all that. But it's mm-hmm. just sort of relayed as, like, her telling Harry... What she did. Yeah. Um, And it's good in the book. It's effective because she's using it as a counterpoint to Harry, who's like, Harry's like, you guys haven't given up any, you know, he's kind of like saying you guys can't come. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, we're coming. I fucking got rid of my me from my parents (laughs) memory. So if you think I'm not coming, I'm coming. Like I've given up a lot for this. But yeah, seeing it's really, really nice. So. Mm hmm. And I think in general, the acting in this one is uh, among the best in the whole series from the main from the main cast. They all have grown into very good actors by this point. And it's some really great scenes here and there. Um, So the book uh, starts out with 
the scene with Voldemort. And yeah, which was the second scene in the movie. Gathered. Yeah, yeah the movie starts out with um, different short scenes of those core three. And Little I think, vignettes. I think that was a really good choice to we, start with them instead of Voldemort. We talked about this in six. Yes. Same thing happened, yeah, where in the, the book six thing. starts with uh, Snape going to do... or. Well, it starts with the well, two ministers. Right. Start but... with the ministers, but then after that, it goes to Bellatrix and Narcissa yeah. going to talk to Snape, and that's kind of a similar thing to how this book starts with uh, them at the Malfoy Manor. Mm-hmm. The movie switches and says, "Let's see our yeah, let's core see our first. let's see our heroes first. Let's Remember see our where main they're characters. at. Set them. Then up a we'll little. bounce over here to the bad guys yeah. for a minute. Yeah, I agree. Uh, during the chase scene, which we talked about at length, they uh, I think they made a pretty good decision to have it. Most of the chase between Harry and the Death Eaters on the motorcycle happened down on ground level mm-hmm. uh, because visually there's just more stuff going on. I think it would have been really hard to do up in the air. Yeah, you don't get one. You don't get nearly as the sort of same feel for speed and that sort yes. of thing when you're up and there's no reference point yes. as much, although they do a pretty good job when they first burst through the clouds and like there's just chaos and stuff going on. But in terms of like the chase scene and that sort of stuff, when you're on the ground and there's stuff flying by, it amps- amplifies the sense of speed mm-hmm. uh, and then like sort of like, oh, uh, yeah, nail biting. We got to have like this crazy drive, like through a tunnel and yeah. there's all this traffic and they're swerving to avoid traffic. Yeah. Um. So we, we kind of got like a. Fast and Furious yeah. chase scene yeah. in our Harry bit. Potter And there's like movie. cars flipping. And I thought it was cool. <laughs> and also, I think it oh, one of the things that kind of establishes maybe more subconsciously is that to some extent, the Death Eaters don't give any shit about yeah. muggles like seeing what's going. You know, yeah. they're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're 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 after Harry. They don't care what sort of random other chaos because a couple people probably died in car accidents during Mm -hmm. that you know there's like trailers flipping over and cars crashing and that sort of thing and we get more of this in the book of uh, reports of muggles being killed and we get a little bit in the movie but i think that's sort of a good way to establish like oh the rules are kind of off we're not worried about whether or not muggles know any of this is going on we're we're at the end game here like that they'll fucking deal with that like they don't care like it's whoever sees it sees it so we talked about Hedwig at length earlier, yes. so I don't think we need to rehash all of but that. But we did save this um, part for but a I, bit. But you had this in better in the book. I hardline disagree. Um, I like that the movie let Hedwig have a moment. I like that she didn't die trapped in a cage. I agree. No, I, here's the thing. I, when I say... I, my my heart likes this better. <laughs> but there is, and I talked about it, I don't want to get it. There's something about how brutal it is in the book that mm-hmm. I appreciate. Yeah. I like this better. <laughs> I like <laughs> uh, Hagrid having a moment attacking a Death Eater to kind of try to protect Harry yeah. and then getting caught with a spell. Like, I, I like that more. It's more interesting. But I, there's just something I appreciate about the brutal nature of what happens in the book for its own thing. But yeah, I 100% agree. I like this more. Um, so this is a fun thing. So in the movie, they say Hedwig, they, he, he spec, Harry goes, they were like, how did they know you were the real Harry? And Harry goes, I think it was Hedwig, like mm-hmm. gave me away. Cause after they kill Hedwig is when they go away and then Voldemort shows up. Yeah. Um, and there's, this is a, an internet speculation thing that in the book. So in the book, Hedwig dies right away. She's yeah. in her cage. And as soon as they get up into the crowd of death eaters that are around them, Hedwig gets hit with a spell and die or gets hit with a vada cadaver and dies. Um, 
there's people on the internet like to speculate, and I think these are people trying to give Snape way too much credit, <laughs> but that Snape was the one who did this, that Snape was there, which we never get any confirmation uh-huh. that Snape was actually there or not, I don't think. Um, but the idea is that Snape was there and he killed Hedwig so as to keep other Death Eaters from realizing that was the real Harry. Hmm. But now, aren't there... Because they don't have stuffed... They don't take stuffed... Hedwigs with there them. There is a, I think there is a mention of having fake Hedwigs. Fake Hedwigs. Yeah. But a fake, there's fake Hedwigs and there's real Hedwig. Yeah, and the real Hedwig would be more obvious. Yeah. You would think. So that, anyways, that's the idea is that is that Snape did it to keep right the other Death Eaters from realizing that's the real Harry. That's fan canon. So I mean, you know. I could see him as the pet killer. That's fair. You know, yeah, that makes sense. Him killing. <laughs> Yeah, you know it fits right in line with the if he could come up with if he could come up with some sort of noble justification yeah, for some killing kind of noble justification for being a sadistic <laughs> motherfucker. That's, you know what? That's perfectly up Snape's alley. <laughs> I changed my mind. That is right up his alley. Oh, I get to torture these kids for seven years because I have a noble purpose. Yeah. Okay. Cool. For more on that, tune into our problematic things about Harry Potter episode. <laughs> Um, there's a scene in the movie where Harry tries to leave the burrow, he tries to kind of sneak away, which is not in the book. Yeah. Um, Ron stops him. Um, and Ron has a line that I love. He says, we wouldn't last two days without her, meaning Hermione. Yeah. And I'm like, you damn skippy, you wouldn't. Because, yeah. yeah, basically Harry's like, well, we can just go. And he's like, we can leave without Hermione. Are you fucking kidding? And I was like, yeah, you guys, come yeah. on. You'd be done. Yeah. Uh, the cafe scene, I think, is, well, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. yeah. Um, but the there is the oblivious diner worker, which is fun. Yeah, I, lo- I loved scene. that, though, where she's got her headphones on and yeah. she just has no idea what's happening. And you can her. tell from the moment she's introduced in the scene that she just does not care. Like, yeah. It's like it's like 11 o'clock on like a Saturday night and she's like just waiting to get off in an hour or whatever. <laughs> and she's just, yeah, she has her headphones in and there's this chaos behind her. That's a kind of a movie trope, but yeah. it's still fun. Uh, so the ministry officials, and I, I talked about this a little bit earlier, are literally dressed, uh, not officials, but the ministry, like, police, mm-hmm. like the muggle rounder-uppers, <laughs> whatever they are. The people basically dragging muggles out of the courtroom and into the courtroom. Uh, their costumes are s- literally just, like, of a, 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 a different color palette of Nazi costumes. Yeah. They are the Gestapo, essentially. They're yeah. just, like, black with, like red arm not red they're slightly different i don't know whatever but they're basically just brown suits or whatever the right brown suits anyways yeah there's nazi (laughs) costume they're basically just nazi outfits so and again there's that's i say better in the movie because there's no real mention to what any of those people look like in the right in the book so we don't ever extrapolated from some of the other discussion we get about Mm -hmm. what's going on um there's also a, a subtle thing that happens in that scene at the ministry. Yeah. Um, the, the new minister, Thickness, mm-hmm. I guess is how you say his name. Yeah, Pious Thickness yeah. is how I always... Pious Thickness. Which is a fucking gross name. It's... If there was yeah. a wizard porn star... <laughs> <laughs> it would be Pious, Pious Thickness. thickness. <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, he introduces himself as the minister for magic yeah. instead of the minister of magic. Yeah. A subtle linguistic change, but a meaningful one. What a meaningful one. Um, we talked about 
Yeah, how we think it was a good idea generally. Skipping Lupin. Skipping Lupin coming. Yeah. And because the, they, they have yeah. a big fight and it's like a, it, it's interesting but it's it's a downer. Like yeah. when we already have a lot of downers, it's it's cuz basically Lupin volunteers to come with them and like abandon his baby essentially yeah. and they're like and, and Harry, Harry fucking loses it. His shit. Uh and it's just yeah, it's just kind of a downer. It's kind of a downer and there's not really like it's not super important later in no. the book even so No and especially with where the what happens Yeah that just kind of it's yeah. even more of a downer <laughs> like <laughs> Uh so the the movie has Dobby help apprehend Mundungus he shows up with creature uh which doesn't really make any sense Yeah and I I not it's not really a better Thing. I'm pretty sure this does not happen in the book. What am I thinking of? There's a moment where Creature and Dobby both show up. You're oh, thinking of book six. Thinking of the fight. I think you're thinking of book six when um when they are following around Malfoy. That's what you're thinking of. Oh, and they get into a fist fight. Yes, that is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Of. Okay. So the move, but the movie. Yeah. Almost sort of moves that, but yeah, not really. Not really. They but have kind Dobby of. help get Mundungus, um, which like I said, it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no real reason that he would be helping him do that. And the movie kind of like hand waves it away. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's better than what the book does. Um, but I do think it's a good choice considering that Dobby was left out of movies four through yeah. six. Well, they had to do it. Yeah. They had to because they otherwise. They remind us of who he yeah, is. Yeah. If he shows up at the end of this movie and we haven't seen him at all since yeah. movie two, we'd be like, wait, why is what? Yeah. At least be like, yeah. who is this? Yeah. So they had to add that because, yeah, we don't see him in the book. Right. Until the end. Dewey, maybe once. Um, no, we don't see him until Malfoy Manor yeah. in the book. Right. But, yeah, since we've seen him in every movie since two, or every book since two. Yeah, we we need that reminder. We need that reminder. I like this scene. Um, it's a little one, but I don't think it makes sense in the book, because at this point, Hermione knows, because she's read about, mm -hmm. in the book, she's read that's the banned books from Dumbledore's office about how to destroy Hor Horcruxes. Yeah, so and she that. knows they can only be destroyed very few very things. Very specific they, ways. They don't even know exactly what all of those things are, but they know it's yeah. very few things. Um, but the scene in the movie I thought was interesting. If, if you if you assume they don't know that, which we don't see in the movie, they get the locket. Once they finally get the locket, there's the scene of them like shooting spells at it mm -hmm. and trying to destroy it. And it's like making weird noises and, and like Harry like freak like just is blasting it over and over again. I think it's a cool scene or yeah. like a fun scene. And again, it only makes context sense in the context of the movie because, again, in the book, they know that that wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. They still might try it even if they thought that, you know. You might as well give it a go, even if your book says they can only be destroyed. I'm like, I'm still going to try lighting it on fire and see what, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so I, give it the old college try. Well, let's just see. I mean, it's not, <laughs> what, what's it hurt? It's not like, you know, what's it hurt to give it a shot? Um, another thing that the movie adds that we couldn't have possibly had in the book is the the noises that the horror yeah, crooks make. Very subtle, like it, it's like these weird screechy clicks. Yeah. Kind of like insecty yeah, like that are really like unsettling. And it did get annoying. At like, times. Yeah. After a while. Especially the like, pitch of it. Uh, yeah, I think I I like looked at you and yeah. I was like, eh. Yeah. There was one moment in particular where it went on for like fifteen or twenty seconds of like a high pitched yeah. like and it was a little yeah. But the thing that but that's it's, that, it's an interesting technique because it does not let you forget that the Horcrux yes, is around. That's the thing; it's intentionally annoying. Yeah, you're you're feeling in that moment 
at least a little bit. It's, it's one of those things where if they can do that and if you can appreciate why they're doing yes. that, in that moment, you're feeling a little bit of what the characters yeah, are feeling. That kind of agitated. Yeah. And like, like, but oh, there's nothing you can do you about can't, it. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're feeling. And and if you can, it, that can be very frustrating as a moviegoer, unless you can sit and think about why you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Like, I get why, why am I? Why does the filmmaker want me to feel yeah. this way? What is the purpose yeah. of making me feel this way? And if there is a purpose and to it. And it makes sense, yeah. Like there is here, yeah. then that's a good choice. Yeah. Oh, and they don't abuse it too much. Yeah. They don't, they don't, because even, even that being said, it's still a movie. If it was a, as annoying as it was for them, it would not be a, enjoyable yeah. <laughs> but a little bit of it to kind of put you on edge in the same way is it's great um so there's also a scene where there are some random snatchers it's not random the only snatchers we see in are them, they the same it's ones? the same guys yeah i didn't even it's that one it guy ones. <laughs> it's that one dude with like the scarves who looks like he should be in a band yeah, he the looks, guy who catches them. He at the looks end. like he should be in like My Chemical Romance. Yeah, or something. I, I I can't remember his name. He's in the book. He's the guy with Grayback. Yeah. Now in the book, they're more explicitly kind of Death Eaters. Well, there's an interesting whole storyline about, or not storyline. Little mention the fact that Gray Grayback's not actually a Death Eater because mm-hmm. they won't let him be a Death Eater because he's a uh, a, werewolf. a werewolf. Yeah, and their whole pure blood thing. Um, so he doesn't actually have a dark mark and it's kind of an interesting like little wrinkle that I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting because it made it seem in book six that he was just a death eater. Yeah. But in this one, it's like, nah, kind of, well, they, they you let him, they let him wear the robes, yeah, but he's but not actually in the club. He's not in the club because they're, because they're biggest, racist yeah. garbage. Yeah. Um, but at, at any rate, there's a scene where they're, uh, the snatchers are wandering around and they, they walk right up to Hermione and they yeah. can't see her because or of the detect enchantments them at all. that they put up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they can smell her perfume though. Yeah. But why was she wearing perfume on the camping trip from hell? For Ron? I don't know. Right. It <laughs> don't seems un Hermione ish to me. Oh, I agree. It absolutely seems un Hermione ish, uh, for sure. Uh, we talked about the sword. Yeah, we talked line. about the sword scene. It's again, it's kind of complicated in the book. Uh, it's a little simplified in the movie. I'm just not sure it makes sense in the movie, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see if it pans out in yeah. part two. I actually kind of like the dancing scene. I think that's a kind of a controversial scene among people. Here's the thing: there were little moments throughout this book uh-huh. that, uh, upon I, this is the first time I think I've reread the book since seeing the movie. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because I think I read this like twice or two or three times before the movie came out. And then I don't know if I've read it since then. And there were little moments on this time because I remembered the dancing scene. I remember that was a thing because, again, it was kind of controversial. Like people hated it. People liked Mm -hmm. it, whatever. And there were little moments once Ron leaves between Harry and Hermione that I feel like the movie kind of. the, The screenwriters took. And condensed. There are little things that happen over the course of the two months or whatever, or the month that Ron's gone or whatever. These little things here and there, and I'll try to find a couple of them, but that I think that they kind of extrapolated out into this dancing scene that I think is actually kind of sweet. I don't love that the dancing scene happens right after Ron leaves. Yeah. It's a little like... It's a little... Like, it's cute. It's a cute scene, but it comes off to me as like love triangle-y, can like confusing. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't I don't have a problem with the love triangle thing. I think a couple 16-year-olds in such an emotionally charged situation 
who <laughs> that where hormones are raging. Like I don't hate I don't hate the sort of it's not. I think it's j- as love triangly as the book is. I think mm-hmm. there's just as much insinuation in the book that sort of makes it feel love triangly. And then both the movie and the book basically go, no, she's like a sister to me. But yeah. you can read it both ways when it's hormonal hormonal teenagers that aren't related. You can read these sort of things numerous ways. The one in the book in, that I have a note of here, but there's I know there's at least two or three other ones. Um is that uh, there's a moment where uh, after his wand breaks, thanks for the uh, Harry says, thanks for the tea. I'll finish the watch. You get back in and warm up. She hesitated, but recognized the dismissal. She picked up the book and then walked back past him into the tent. But as she did so, she brushed the top of his head lightly with her hand. He closed his eyes at her, at her touch. And then there's, it goes on from there, but Mm. yeah you know there's little things like that that throughout that i feel like they kind of took those moments and again there's a couple other ones that i i can't remember oh uh, one of them's in the graveyard where they he's he's holding her very Mm -hmm. closely and like she puts her head i think he even says she puts her head on his shoulder if not she he's holding her around the waist and she's holding him and you can you can read these as siblings or as romantic partners and they're not sure Mm-hmm. what that fe- those feelings are and again it's so emotionally charged it's so they're they also have the locket there so they're just like they don't know what's going on i i actually i i think it works i think it, i actually kind of like it and i again if you're not going to do the little moments over the space which you can't because it's a movie and you kind of kind of condense all this yeah. stuff i think that scene works i think it just would have worked a little better slightly more removed from from when ron runs away yeah so that she's not quite as She's still distraught, but it's not like quite as fresh of like Ron (laughs) literally left like the night before or whatever. And then at least it's what it seems like in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, but I I like the scene. I'm a fan of the scene. And I think they I think they act it pretty well and do a good job with it. And I think it's fun and awkward and cute in a way that sort of encapsulates the dynamic in the book that I and I I don't know if people appreciate all those. I, I, I was. I didn't notice these the first time I read it, but there's at least a handful of moments where I was like, okay, I can see why they got that out of that. Mm-hmm. And it's not love triangle, but there's like a... I, I guess to me, the dancing scene reads more strongly romantic, whereas the little moments in the book can read like, like you said, like roman- romancy or sibling-y. I guess to me the dancing scene reads a little more strongly romantic. See, to me it didn't. If they had just like slow danced, sure, but they were like laughing, doing like a like like swing dancing kind mm-hmm. of to where to that didn't feel the the way they did the dancing scene could have leaned it one way or the other for me, but the way they did it in the movie felt and I think they do ultimately end up kind of embracing and, and slow dancing a little bit, but it felt it worked for me. I don't know. I felt it felt <laughs> right on the line of like eh, romantic versus sibling. And even they're not sure what this mm-hmm. is, like what how they feel about each other, which I think would make sense mm-hmm. for them in this scenario at their yeah. age. No, and and I do think it's a cute scene um, and it is a, a much needed kind of moment of yeah levity. Yeah. All right. Moving on. This was a huge and very good change for the movie. Again, they don't need to do this in the book because we're reading it. Yes. We're not seeing it. Uh, but when they go to Godric's Hollow, in the book, they take Polyjuice Potion. Yeah. 
um, so that they're different people. Yeah, they look like a middle-aged Middle-aged couple. random couple or something. In the movie, when they get to Godric's Hollow, Hermione has a line, and I, I appreciate them putting this in there, where she goes, I still say we should have used Polyjuice Potion. Mm-hmm. And that's a, an allusion to the book where they do use Polyjuice Potion. But uh, I think I'm really glad they changed it. And I think, one, the movie does a good job of sort of explaining it away. And I think the way they explain it away is also the reason it works and is important for the movie. In that Harry, when he gets there and she says, I, I wish we still would, I still wish say we should have used Polyjuice Potion. Harry goes, this is my first time coming home. I'm not going to be somebody else. Yeah. And now, it, like, you, you you can understand that emotional motivation for Harry. Like, he's coming and seeing his parents' grave, and mm-hmm. his he doesn't want to be wearing somebody else's face. Like, yeah. he's like, this is <laughs> very important to me. Um, and two, that's the same reason we need it not to be some random middle-aged guy. Yes. If if this moment, if, if Harry at the gravestone with Hermione looking at his parents' grave was some random middle-aged couple, even if we, like, knew, quote-unquote, it was Harry, mm-hmm. it would not remotely have the emotional weight that the scenes do in in the movie. Like, imagine Harry, or imagine some random middle-aged dude walking up to the wreckage of Harry's house. No, I agree. Uh, no, I know yeah. you agree. I know you agree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm trying to express to the listeners why I think this is such a very important change and, and why it, anybody who would potentially be like, oh, no, they can't change that. They, they got to wear polyjuice, use polyjuice potion because it, the, that's makes them say whatever like whatever you read like just think about the emotional impact of seeing harry literally mm-hmm. seeing harry looking at his parents grave or and, and daniel radcliffe harry looking at his parents grave or looking at the, his uh the, the wreckage of his family or his parents house and, and that sort of thing versus some random actor right because it doesn't make sense for them to use polyjuice potion sure yes absolutely sure but whereas with a book, we're reading it so we can still have that emotional yeah. weight, even though they don't look like themselves, yeah. a movie has to worry about that visual. Yeah. We don't have the inner monologue from Harry, so no. we have to get the emotional weight from somewhere else. It has to come from the visuals. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think the movie does a fairly good job of making me believe that even though they know it's not the best idea, Hermione says we should have taken Polyjuice Potion. Mm-hmm. Harry sort of as we know Harry is want to do emotionally and sort of uh, decides, no, this is what I'm doing. We know that yeah. that's within Harry's character. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's within his character to make a, ra- a brash, uh, not the smartest decision uh, for emotional and sort of gut reasons. Mm-hmm. So I think it works. I think it's, I think it's a smart change. After Ron shows back up the scene where uh, Harry refuses to give Hermione her wand yeah. back. Because she's, yeah. she's threatening his life. Yeah, she's she's beating him up. Uh, and then she she asks Harry for a wand so she can curse him or whatever. And Harry's like, no. no. <laughs> not, no. And like False. stumbles backwards from her. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. We'll talk a little, bit, a little more about that scene later. Uh, the score, we mentioned in the prequel episode that the score was done by Alexandra Desplat. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I just butcher the french on it every time because he's french <laughs> i'm pretty sure uh it's yeah display uh i thought the score is amazing maybe my favorite so far i mm. mean obviously the hagrid's theme and some of those are Hedwig's. iconic hedwig's hagrid's theme <laughs> I'm, which he, I'm sure he has a theme but i don't know what it is uh hedwig's theme and some of the the more iconic 
Yes. Harry, uh, John Williams, incredible. But I think the overall score of this one might be my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. As I was watching the movie and the way it, it worked, it just worked really well throughout the film, moving the action along. And this I could see this being a tough film to score with the way it sort of plays out. And I thought I thought it was just brilliant. I thought it was beautiful, um, which I, I expected, to be fair, uh, with how much I appreciated his other work so far. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was really, really good. So the three brothers, the story of the three yes. brothers when they're at the love of And this is notoriously people. This is a, a, a universal acclaim for this pretty much. Um, and we will echo that. Full stop. <laughs> I think this might be one of the best things in any of the movies mm-hmm. is the sequence. I don't disagree. Yeah, it is. It's creepy. It's aesthetic. It reflects the tone and the mood of the movie perfectly. Yep. And it's it's interesting. Like, yeah. Imagine if we had just been watching them react to her reading the right. story aloud right. the whole time. Yeah. Boring. Or or if it had been a live action yeah. type of thing, you know, some sort of stylized live action recreation. I, I just imagine, yeah, it looking like something from a Tim Burton movie. And it not mm-hmm. really working in that way. But yeah, no, no the, but the way they did it and the the fact that I'm glad that you mentioned that about having it possibly be like live action, because by making it an animation, it reflects the idea that it's a story. Yeah. You know, like it's a storybook yeah. for children. And it, yeah. And it very much looks uh, it's the aesthetic is similar to something sort of almost like ink and mm-hmm. page, like the yellow background, sort mm-hmm. of a page of uh, parchment like. And then the the black all the yeah. figures being black and stuff almost like ink, you know, it or is like very, shadow puppets or shadow almost. puppets. Yeah, oh, yeah, it reminds me of um, Lottie Reinger, I think might be how you say her name. She did, um, she did like uh, shadow puppet like stop motion cutouts hmm. of fairy tales. I'll Sounds show you cool. sometime. Yeah, yeah. Um, Walt Disney gets all the credit all the time for doing the first full-length animated feature, but it was actually her. <laughs> this next point that you have is the thing I mentioned in the prequel. Did you think that that was the thing I mentioned in the prequel? When I said no. that there was a moment in the uh, Bellatrix torturing Hermione scene that the two of them came up with. Oh, you did say that. No, well, I, yeah. I knew that they had added this, but I didn't know if that was the thing you were talking about. It is. This is the thing that, uh, so in that scene, uh, it's an intense scene, but uh, Bellatrix tortures Hermione to try to, she wants to know where they got the sword from, Yeah, is the, the basic premise. Uh, and in the movie, she carves the word, and we don't see it happening, but we see it, the aftermath of it, and she carves the word mudblood into Hermione's arm. Mm-hmm. And that is the moment that they came up, the, apparently the two actresses came up with in the, like, when they were talking about this. I don't know. At some point during the production process or filming, they came up with the idea that they should do that. That wasn't, like, in the screenplay or anything yeah. like that. So, And that that was an actress addition well, it's a um, really good. Ad. It is. It's a very good addition, and it's a really dark, um, disturbing addition. Mm-hmm. I mean, that scene's disturbing already, but then that to see that it's, yeah, it's intense. Like it's it's it's, and this this movie is PG thirteen. It's most of them have been PG. Mm-hmm. This one is PG thirteen, and I think pretty much primarily for like thematic and scary sequences or whatever yeah. like that. Although that's probably why we only get a little trickle of blood yeah. from it. Whereas 
in real life, it would probably be bleeding pretty profusely, I well, would think. Yeah, not, maybe not too bad, because it's pretty shallow, but yeah, it would probably be bleeding a little more than yeah. it is. They used up their blood allotment for George's ear. And Ron's, and Ron's uh, splinch, shoulder. His we'll talk shoulder about. splinch. We'll talk about. Uh, we both have this point. Oh, uh, yeah, and Dobby has the best line ever. Maybe one of the... It's up there again with the best additions... Line wise, we've had a, we've had every movie has like one or two really yeah. good additions that weren't in the book that they had for the movie. But this one is is up there. And it's when Dobby uh, drops the chandelier, which is what happens in the book. He drops the chandelier mm-hmm. on uh, Bellatrix uh, as she's threatening to kill Hermione. Yeah. And Bellatrix says something to the effect How of, dare you? How dare you? You could have killed me or you tried to kill me or something like that. Yeah. And, and Dobby says, Dobby never meant to kill, only to maim or seriously injure. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Mm. And it's even better because in the Dobby voice, yes. it's so delightfully silly, but like badass at the same time <laughs> uh it's a brilliant line and yeah not in the book and i the kudos to whoever added that to the script and uh my last one for better in the movie is in the book when dobby dies and it's it's great it's heartbreaking um but when dobby dies uh, in harry's arms he just says harry potter mm-hmm. and then that's it in the movie they give him a couple lines yeah and i don't remember the exact context or the exact lines but he says something about uh, Dobby is happy to be with friends, mm-hmm. to be with his friend Harry Potter. Or I think he says Harry. Or Dobby is happy to be with his friend, and then Harry Potter is still the last thing he says. So they keep that from the book, but they give some more before it, where he gets a little bit extra to kind of express. It's it's similar to the Hedwig thing, where it's in the in the book, it's a little colder and a little darker, yeah. where he just says Harry Potter and dies, and we don't know what he was gonna say or what his you know like we don't know like. Was that Harry Potter, I, I'm so terrified? Or was that Harry Potter, I'm happy to be here? Like, I'm happy yeah. I saved. You know what I mean? The movie gives us that slightly more positive read of that. <laughs> to some, you know what I mean? Like a slightly yeah. happier yeah, yeah. read on that scene. Uh, whereas the book leaves it a little more ambiguous. Of It could go in kind of, you know, numerous directions. Which I like, but I mm-hmm. my heart likes the happier <laughs> moment from the, the movie. So that's it for Better in the Movie. Let's do Muggle Questions Part 3. This is probably something that will be answered in Part 2 of the movie, hopefully. But if not, just in case, I'm going to ask it now. Where did the Doe Patronus come from? Who casted the Doe Patronus that led them to the Sword of Gryffindor? Yeah, we're, we're going to have to skip this one, Trevor. Yep. That's Spoilers. major spoiler alert. Input, and now I'm not going to input it because I don't want to go find it. But, oh, I might have it already. Doesn't matter. Input. River Song. Spoilers. At the end of the movie, Dobby mentioned that he can evaporate in and out of the dungeon because he's an elf. What is so special about elves that they can do that? Does the book give any detail to that? We mentioned this earlier, um, but it, it isn't necessarily that elves are special. It's that wizards, especially racist pureblood garbage wizards, um, consistently underestimate the powers of non-wizard creatures. Yeah. So Dobby can get in and out because the Malfoys and company didn't think there was any reason to protect against lowly elf magic. Yeah, yeah. They Because for a number of reasons. One, they underestimate the 
the ability of elves, period. Mm-hmm. Two, free elf isn't a thing. Like, elves would have to be... The idea of a, an elf acting of its own accord or, or doing something to help or, like, save, uh, yeah. you know, a, a, a wizard doesn't really... They don't think about it that way. It's just they're servants. They clean things. They, mm-hmm. you know, an elf being heroic or doing, you know, doing stuff like that. They don't even think about it that way. They're house elves. They, they're yeah. they're servants. They're maids. They clean. They cook. They do. You know, that's what they do. But the movies ignore the themes always yeah. and forever. I don't want to say they ignore the themes. It's not entirely fair. They definitely ignore a lot of the themes. They and it's one of their biggest job. flaws. They do a very bad job with the themes. Um, yeah, absolutely do a very bad job. They, as we've discussed in been disappointed by numerous times is that the <laughs> movies uh substitute or not substitute they put plot ahead of themes yes. and i get it but the themes suffer but also the themes are super fucking important kind of the most important part of harry potter all right the movie nailed it nailed it a charity burbage yeah floating eerily in the air yeah this scene this whole scene uh at yeah. malfoy manor in the beginning i thought was pretty much spot on mm-hmm. Um, where Voldemort's kind of laying out what's what's going on and then kills Charity Burbage, who we've never seen before in the movies or the books. Yeah. I, mean, I think she was mentioned like once in the books. Like Hermione says she's taking muggle studies from a wizard. Yeah. Like Charity Burbage. I don't even know if she mentions her name. She just says that she is. She's yeah, she's the, the muggle studies yeah. professor. Yeah, which is why they kill her. Or why he captures her and kills yeah. her is because and he I mean he lays it out in the movie too. It's just yeah, but it's it's awful. It's disturbing. The way she's floating there is horrifying and her pleading with Snape. It's all just it's it's the same like just ugh, yeah like brutal portrayal that we see in the book. Uh, I, I had this in better in the book because I didn't think they were going to do it. And then they they had a moment where Harry has this where he, he has sort of mixed feelings about leaving mm-hmm. Privet Drive for the last time. Where he opens up his old cupboard. Yeah. And I was really happy they yeah. included that little moment of him going in under the stairs because that's in the book and he goes under there and looks around, you know, and he kind of reminisces and, and he, he hates it there and he never wants to come back. <laughs> but it's also it's also the place where he found out he was a wizard. Well, it's not technically. It yeah. was a shack. <laughs> he should have went back to the shack and like, oh, man. found the door laying on the ground that Hagrid knocked over. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's, it's and a, it, Yeah, I think... No matter how shit your childhood was, it's still your childhood. Yeah. And there's always going to be even a little tiny bit of like bittersweet. Yeah. And then they do in the movie. And I don't remember if this was in like the first movie, but I'm thinking maybe it was. There's these little toy figurines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Were he those plays the, with them. In yeah. the first movie? I yeah. thought so. So, yeah. So there's something like that where it's not necessarily... Obviously, the whole abusive fucking home he was in was awful. But like, you know, he remembers this moment. Like, I was, like, yeah, I remember playing with these. To- you know, it's it's nice. I like that. Um, the seven Harry Potters. Yeah. Scene is great. amazing. It's great. That <laughs> we both noticed that the the shot where Hermione is like halfway between Harry and Hermione. Yeah. When she's transforming. I was like, huh. it's very. Um, I was like, this better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but yeah, the overall the scene's great. It's it's really funny in the way it should be. Uh, it, there's lots of good humor. There's lots of good. The the effects are great. Like the the way they all like it's a really good effect shot mm-hmm. of them of the you know the Weasley twins getting shorter, Mundungus getting taller, and Hermione transforming. Yeah, it's it's yeah. great. Uh, and we we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the Fred and George scene after George loses his ear, mm-hmm. their moment together is really nice, and and they have the joke about. Um, George says that he's holy. Yeah. 
Saint-like. He says, I'm feeling saint-like because I'm holy. Get it? Holy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole world of ear-related humor, you went with holy. <laughs> and I was like, it's also not a good joke because your ear already has a hole in it. <laughs> that joke Fair applies enough. literally always. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> I thought Scrim, Scrimger, or Scrimger. however the heck you pronounce it. You hear it once, I think, yeah. in this movie. But Hermione says it once, and I was like, ah, there it was. Yeah, it's not Scrimgower. It's not Scrimgower. It's like Scrim, Scrimger or Scrimger, one so of the two. So we've, we've just been mispronouncing it. Yeah, for... Who cares? He's a jerk anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. But I thought his portrayal was good and mm-hmm. fit really well, and he has the mane of hair. And Bill Nye's great. I love Bill Nye. He's always fantastic in everything he's in. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought he was really good. And, and on to that, I think the Dumbledore Will scene was Literally exactly how I imagine that scene taking place yeah. with him crammed onto a couch together and the way he gives out the items and the 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 look of expectation on his face when he gives Harry the snitch <laughs> and all of that I thought was just spot on like from how I imagine it in the book. Um, the love goods at Bill and Fleur's wedding I thought was pretty like the way they're dressed yeah. and the way they're like dancing, which I didn't I'm, I, I, I found this note when I was researching for the prequel. I didn't mention it, but I was hoping I would remember it. And I did. Luna. Uh, can't remember her name. The actress who plays Luna, who's uh-huh. currently on Dancing with the Stars and apparently crushing it. I think hmm. she just made it to the finals. Nice. Um, she. Uh, she came up with that dance for them based on oh, really? the description from the book. Because if you remember the description from the book, Harry says he saw Luna and his her dad dancing on the dance floor. And it looked as if they were trying to swat rack spurts away from their head. And if in the movie they're doing like this weird like I would hand call waving. That, I would call that cat in a box. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of like that. But that's what they're doing. And she she apparently the actress herself came up with that based on that description from the book. So nice. Uh, so we talked about Aunt Muriel and how she's a not remotely as interesting and as sassy as real life Aunt Muriel is. Or sorry, movie book <laughs> book life Aunt Muriel is real life book life Aunt Muriel is. But I thought this scene, which it's a tough scene because it's a long, relatively yeah, long scene in the, book in the book where we have a lot of discussion of Dumbledore's history mm-hmm. and, 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 and like the rumors and the back and forth between her and, and um, Elphias yeah. or Elphius Dodge or however you pronounce it. Um, I can't not pronounce it Doge now because of the stupid meme, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's spelled the same way, I think. But anyways, um, but I thought the movie did a pretty good job condensing that big drawn out scene into mm-hmm. A relatively contained short scene. Again, they don't quite capture. I thought they captured Doge, Dodge, whatever, kind of perfectly with yeah. his like weird suit and his little his little brandy, his little cup of brandy and his like indignation at everything happening. <laughs> I thought was pretty spot on. Um, and I just think overall the scene was was pretty close to, or it captured what the book was going for in a much shorter time period. Uh, we mentioned the cafe scene earlier, but it's spot on. Yes. It is exactly what I imagine the way they come in. I mean, they sit down in the book, but whatever. And they sit like in the yeah. thing next to him. But just how quick. I also kind of like this movie does something with the sound design that I couldn't decide if I liked or disliked. But I think I I think I liked it where um, a lot of the action scenes, the music, not only the music, there's no music. The music mm-hmm. drops out or if there is music, it's really subtle. And the sound mix is sparse compared Mm -hmm. to some action scenes and it reminds me of how it would actually feel if you were in that moment 
Um, you hear the spells, you hear some stuff exploding, but a lot of it's sort of subdued. Mm-hmm. And if if you're if anybody who's like an athlete or, or plays sports, um, which I'm not anymore particularly, but uh, once a year. But <laughs> um, I played sports growing up, a bunch of different stuff. And when you're in the moment of a sporting event, and and like concentrating on what you're doing, and I imagine it's I've never I've only I was in a fight when I was in like second grade, and that it's the only time in my whole life <laughs> like one count. fight. I, yeah, it doesn't really, but <laughs> I can imagine in a in a moment like that it would be similar. Is that when you're in that moment of like supreme concentration on doing something incredibly physically demanding, and you're mm-hmm. focusing on on what you're doing physically, uh, and and in the sense of, and mentally, um, you don't hear what's going on yeah like that whole thing where like where the sound of the crowd drops out that's totally true you don't hear the crowd you don't hear other people you can kind of you you get selective hearing you can Mm -hmm. hear certain things that you need to hear but like everything else kind of goes away and i think the action scenes in this movie kind of went for that and i think it actually worked pretty well well. i think that works too um speaking speaking from kind of from a perspective of like when you're in danger when you go into like fight or flight yeah yeah everything drops out too and you kind of go into like that business mode of like okay this is what i have to do right now and everything else just kind of falls away and that i think that's i think those are similar it's 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 an adrenal response i think it's the same thing fight or flight it's it's a very similar thing to when you're in a particularly stressful moment in a sporting event and that's what i'm relating it to because i like i said i played a lot of sports so i think it's probably a very similar type of thing to what your body chemically does and so i think that what the movie did with the sound design kind of was trying to do that i think it was interesting i think it worked pretty Mm -hmm. well no you changed my spelling mistake but it wasn't a spelling mistake (laughs) what what did you have you have here dumbledore coming down the hallway my note very specifically and purposefully was Dusteldore coming down the hallway. I did not make that connection. <laughs> yeah. I thought, uh, so when they get to Grimmauld Place, Moody has put in some traps for in case Snape shows up. Um, and the movie doesn't necessarily do a great job of explaining what that is happening there because yeah. it would be hard to because we get a lot of like narration kind of. But uh, a, a, a dust figure of Dumbledore rises out of the carpet and rushes down the hallway at, at them whenever they come in. And uh, I thought the movie did a good job yeah, of doing no, they that. Did. Dusteldore. Also, that's a solid pun. I commend you. <laughs> Dusteldore. <laughs> I didn't realize you corrected my spelling mistake in the notes. Wasn't a spelling mistake. I um I actually have added a lot of the Harry Potter names to my dictionary. On Google Docs. Oh, yeah. Yo, my, my phone now. <laughs> yeah. Dumbledore got added real quick because I was tired of Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, we both have this note, Ron and Hermione almost holding hands. Yeah. Which is a... That's sp- a specific mention of that. A little thing in the, in book. the book, but they do it in the movie. Um, and we both also had this um, when they flush themselves into the ministry. Yeah. Pretty much exactly how I imagined it. Yeah. As silly as it, you would imagine it to be. Um, the whole ministry yeah. scene. The, the When they go undercover uh, in yeah. Polyjuice Potion to the ministry, pretty much all of it is spot on. They change things here and there, but the stuff they change works, mm-hmm. and the stuff they don't change is really good. The The wizard statue, when they get into the like the entryway, where mm-hmm. it's the, this giant pillar with muggles being crushed underneath it. 
Um, and the once they get up to Umbridge's office, or yeah. once Harry gets up to Umbridge's office, the uh, to the look of her office on the inside, yeah. but the propaganda area. Yeah, all the the creation of the propaganda. Um, and I also loved uh, when Harry is just kind of wandering around aimlessly. As the ministry guy, oh, <laughs> he's just like walking, yeah. like I don't know what to do. He's just walking very, <laughs> uh, like there's some great comedic moments in this whole scene, in this whole, yeah, uh, yeah, part in the ministry. But yeah, he's kind of awkwardly walking around, looking around, like I don't know. those actors. Whoever, <laughs> I didn't recognize any of those actors who were no, playing the Polyjuice Potion version, but they were all great. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the 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 creation of the propaganda, the the huge line of desks all facing. Umbridge's office Mm -hmm. and like exactly how I imagined it and the it was a slight change from how I imagined the distraction device but I thought it was a really good good visualization visualization of it Uh, so when they leave the ministry Ron gets splinched we mentioned that earlier Mm -hmm. I thought the splinch I actually thought I was going to have this in a different section when I remembered it from when I first saw this movie because in the book it's described as he has a big chunk out of his arm Mm -hmm. but when I watch the movie i actually think what they showed in the movie makes more sense and for what i imagine a splinch to be than just a chunk missing from his arm because in the movie it looks like his skin is like twisted and torn mm-hmm. which especially with the way they do the visual yes, effect with the for way they visualize it it makes a lot apparating of sense. yeah where they like roll up yeah. in like a big ball kind of and like whoop. it looks like they suck into a tube almost. yeah yeah that idea where so then having his skin be like this weird, like twisted, turned, mm-hmm. bleeding mess, like, yeah, looks pretty cool. The fight with Ron. Yeah. And when he leaves. Again, this well is, done. yeah, I think this is some of all this stuff with those three. It's some of the heaviest lifting they had to do acting wise in the whole mm-hmm. series. And I think it's the some of the best they've done in the whole series. I just the 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 argument they have, the how Ron's sort of weird passive-aggressive, glum, like, attitude he's putting off yeah. and and, the, and Harry's indignation with it, but also, like, just everything about that that whole interaction leading up to Ron running away, I thought, was spot on. And, and a lot of the lines are verbatim from the book. Um, and, I, yeah, I just thought it was brilliant. Oh, these are all my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was the thing I thought, because I thought they were going to have a hard time doing this. It's a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. I thought they did a pretty good job of exp- of showing the fact that they're wandering around aimlessly and not really knowing where to go, yeah. which is a big part of the book. Yeah, like it's like a big chunk of the book is, and that's what sort of brews all the con- confusion and right. the anger they and everything. Don't really know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Dumbledore they have didn't, like a vague idea at best. They need Horcrux. They need to get Horcruxes. Yeah, and and it, they don't know where to find them for a long time. But then once they do find them, they don't know how to destroy it. Like once they do yeah. get the locket, they don't know how to destroy it. So they're just like kind of wandering they're around. Like, they're taking the ring into Mordor, but they have no idea which direction Mordor is. They in. don't know where Mordor is. <laughs> they don't know they need to get to Mount Doom. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. It's just wandering around. But they have to keep moving because they don't want to get you know stay in one place too long. Yeah. And I thought the movie did a good job of showing that again in a pretty brief time period in two and a half hours. Uh, Batilda Bagshot looks uh, adequately yeah. old and gross. Gross and. They had like the fly buzzing, which yeah. was a nice touch. Yeah. And on to that, the Nagini scene was pretty good. I 
imagine it a little more intense and terrifying mm-hmm. than it is in yeah. the movie. Like a little darker, a little more horror movie than it is. There's some good stuff in it, which is why I yeah, have it there's here. There's a, a good horrific moment, I think, where you can see the, the nose of the snake like poking out of her mouth. Yeah. And where she like starts uh, like yeah. shrinking it. And like there that's good. But once it becomes the snake, I expected it to be darker and more chaotic in yes. the like in the book. I imagined it like Harry barely knows what's happening. And it's, it's like very confusing. It's very read. confusing to read. And so I imagined it to be more confusing. Whereas in the movie, he's just kind of like holding it at bay with a chair. Yeah. And, and like it again, overall, the reason main reason I put it here is that I, I think it's creepy when she turns into the snake. And then I think they I was super glad they had the moment because I just thought it was a cool badass moment in the book where would they get away by Hermione casting a spell and then they leap out of the window mm-hmm. and it apparate in midair. Yeah. Which they do in the movie. Yeah. So I was like, cool, you got that part. I'll give you <laughs> kudos for it. Um everything about the the dough, the sword in the lake, um, the destruction of the locket horcrux. Everything for this this whole seat yeah. couple scenes is spot on, I think. It's it yeah, the dough looks exactly how it should. It looks mm-hmm. like a Patronus, uh, the lake looks cool and eerie and creepy. You mm-hmm. can see the sword in the bottom. He breaks it open. I think the movie does it. I could have put this in better in the movie, honestly. I think with the lake being bigger, yes, and him being trapped under the ice, which isn't how it's really described in the yeah. book as much. It's like I imagined in the book. I imagined it being a much smaller. Yeah, like, I imagine it more like a little teeny little pond. Yeah, because he says it. He says that it's not so deep. It's it's shallow enough that he would have to go all the way underwater, but like just barely. Like I yeah. imagined it like maybe ten feet deep mm-hmm. tops, mm-hmm. and I imagine it not very wide. Um, and so, but in the movie, he he gets trapped under the ice, and the way the locket is like strangling him and dragging him mm-hmm. underneath the ice, and it, it, it adds to it because it's, the idea of being trapped under ice is terrifying, and like yes, and you know what I mean, like that's all horrifying, and that all works really well. Um, and then Ron showing up and not really knowing who it is because you can't really see him, and just everything about that's great. And then the whole interaction between Ron and Harry after he shows back up, and then the destruction of the locket, yeah. which I, it's just. And Harry and Hermione coming out of like the locket versions of them yes. are pretty spot on to what they I, describe. Brilliant, because literally in the movie or in the book, the line describing her, and it, this is it's true for both of them in the movie, but this line specifically as, where, as they're relaying what Hermione looks like, riddle Hermione as they call, yeah. call it in the book, Hermione looked more beautiful, but also more terrible. And I was, I was like, oh, so she's scary hot. And yeah. the Hermione that comes out of the locket is. And they both are. They're like, they have this weird sheen, kind of like Voldemort. Yeah. Like this well, sheen like to their skin. Looking. But they also are very attractive mm-hmm. and like beautiful. But like their features are sharper. Like yeah. they've had a lot of contouring. Yeah. Done. Yeah, exactly. But they're also <laughs> like scary. Yeah. But you like want to fuck them. Like you don't know like, what's going uh... on. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> it's like a all shall love me in despair yes, moment Yes, exactly. For <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, a little more vogue, though. Yeah. Um, and then Ron swinging the sword and, and crushing it. All of it. Again, oh, you, 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 not much else to say. It's just kind of perfect. Like the whole locket destruction scene I thought was perfect. And then Ra, Hermione beating up Ron. Yeah. We talked about this earlier, but she just wails on Ron for a while, which... I thought it was again I thought this whole scene was brilliantly acted Ron's sort of 
confused mixed with like understanding and mm-hmm. like just taking it and Hermione's like righteous indignation <laughs> at this whole thing and her just I thought just all of it was and but also when they tell her that they destroyed the locket the way her guard kind of drops and she's like really and you know just just everything about it I thought was just brilliant like I kudos to them and the director for getting the performance out of that because those are really important scenes Mm -hmm. for them and I I thought they did a really good job with it um I think this was in there almost word for word I loved uh, Ron's shameless and obvious support of Hermione when she wants to go to the love goods. Yeah. And she brings it up and he's immediately like, yep. Yep. She's right. I agree. We, we should, should def- do that. We should definitely do that. We should that. vote on it. And they both <laughs> raise his hand. Yeah. And Hermione looks at him like, all right. See what you're doing. Uh, I said, uh, you had us in a different place. Uh, again, the interior of the love good house I thought was spot on. It has the, it's, cl- it's adequately cluttered. It has mm-hmm. the, the only thing it was missing was the printing press printing the new copies yes. of the Quibbler that are uh, not so kind to yes. Harry because he's trying to get her Luna back, so he's towing the ministry line. But uh, the spiral staircase in the middle, um, the dirigible plums in the front yard, which are the things that Luna wears as earrings throughout mm-hmm. the books, uh, and I think we can see the rumpet horn in the background. Yeah, I, did, I think I didn't we can see that, it. They don't mention it. They don't talk about it, but I'm pretty sure you can see it. And as per usual, Helena Bonham Carter fucking nails it as Bellatrix. Always. Just out of the park. She crushes it. And it's, I mean, I'm not, oh, I am happy that what's her name was too pregnant to do it. Because one, good for her. (laughs) She has a lovely child now. And also that meant Helena Bonham Carter got to be Bellatrix. (laughs) Because what's her name's great as Narcissa. I think she plays a great Narcissa, sort of the, the, She's the like less the, crazy yeah the refined the refined bellatrix yeah i just want to live my nice life yeah. leave me alone leave me alone <laughs> leave me alone yeah uh, i thought they weren't going to have this in the movie but they did harry grabs three wands mm-hmm. and uses and casts stupefy with all three at once and blasts draco across the fucking room <laughs> because you apparently and this is a fun little like magic trivia thing you can use multiple wands and get multiple <laughs> i don't know amount. why everyone wouldn't do right that. why don't you just, just carry double wands yeah, yeah. <laughs> carry five wands in each hand they're not that thick just, blah, 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 just blowing everybody across like i mean it's fun it's also a little silly like because like you said why would you just always carry a bunch of wands but sure it's still fun and i'm, I'm glad they had it in the movie this this fucking line it's it gets me every time it jokes me up and it's so great and it's dobby and it's after bellatrix says how dare you mm-hmm. uh how dare you disobey your master i think is what yeah. she says and dobby says dobby has no master dobby is a free elf like, <laughs> throw your fist in the air get him dobby uh and then <laughs> Coming down from that high uh, after Dobby <laughs> dies. Uh, and this is in the movie or in the book, but a slightly later. Um, it's a different place than where they put it in the movie. Uh, I think it makes more sense where they put it in the movie, to be fair, mm-hmm. because they wait a long time to close Dobby's eyes in the book. <laughs> like nobody thinks to close his eyes until like halfway through the funeral. <laughs> but in the in the movie, Luna comes up as Harry's holding Dobby and says, 
we should close his eyes. Or maybe she doesn't even say that. She just does it. Yeah. Maybe. She like closes his eyes and says, there, now he could be sleeping. And it's again, it's Luna's Luna's Luna. And I <laughs> love her for it. So, and I, 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 the movie nailed it. Luna is just always, everything Luna does is the movie nailed it. So, all right, that's it for the movie nail it. Let's do more questions part four. After Dobby passed, Harry mentioned we're going to bury him properly without magic. I didn't know if that was just we're going to bury him without magic out of respect or like was there more to it than just we're going to work harder to bury him out of respect? You know, I I think Harry is grieving in this moment and feeling like burying him by magic is kind of the easy way out. Yeah. Um, And uh, to add to that, you know, I think he feels... More than a little responsible for Dobby's death, and that at the very least he owes it to Dobby to get a few blisters digging a grave. Yeah, um, that's absolutely what it is. He, there's in the it's that it's 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 he feels like it's more respectful. He feels mm-hmm. like Dobby has earned like it, yeah, like it would be cheating. Yeah. Um. Uh, on top of that, there's it's very. I'll just read this brief section from the book because I think it it kind of answers the question from the book. It's exactly why. I want to do it properly were the first words of which Harry was fully conscious of speaking. Not by magic. Have you got a spade? And shortly afterward, he had set to work alone, digging the grave in the place that Bill had shown him at the end of the garden. He dug with a kind of fury, relishing the manual work glorying in the non-magic of it for every drop of his sweat and every blister felt like a gift to the elf who had saved their lives so there you go yeah i feel like i've kind of let you guys down i don't have as many questions as i have in previous episodes but i do have one final question before we get into part two which is why did they find it necessary to split this book up into two movies was that a money choice was it a storytelling choice and why didn't they do it to any of the previous books So, the reason they split this movie into two books... Sorry, this book into two movies. (laughs) Uh, We talked about this in the prequel a little bit. Is that they basically... The producers slash writer slash directors were like... This is... We have to make this two movies. We We can't can't not make this two movies. Uh, It was a narrative imperative, as I wrote here. Because (laughs) I'm clever. Um, (laughs) They didn't see a way to fit everything they needed into one movie, which I completely agree. I don't see how they yeah. possibly could uh, have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, this movie would be if it was one movie, it would be three and a half hours long and it would still be missing yes. way too much. I mean, it's it's two, two and a half hour movies. It's five hours worth of movie and it's still missing stuff like it's still missing important things. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about enough about Dumbledore's backstory with Grindelwald. We don't talk about creature enough, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff even still that they don't do enough of. So they, they just had to, uh, as for why the others before this weren't, I've heard it was discussed. I think uh, when we've done the prequel episodes, they've discussed breaking yeah. these up into two movies. They just ultimately never decided to, um, my guess as to why they didn't want to is because once you, st- I'm sure it was first discussed with movie four. Yeah, probably. Because that's the one where they went from 350 to 400 pages to 750 pages. Yeah. All of a sudden we have twice as long of a book. <laughs> uh, how are we going to, I feel like the screenwriter got book four. was like, was are like, you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my guess is they didn't want to open that bag of worms too early because like if you do it for book four 
you have to do it for the rest Absolutely. of the series. How do you not do it for the rest of the series? Like it was, I think we talked about this a little bit yeah. in one of the prequel episodes. If you do it for book four, all of a sudden you go from three, five, seven, nine, eleven like, movies. Shit, they'd still be making them. You go from eight movies to eleven movies. Well, you go from seven movies to eleven movies, or something like that. If my mask are thirteen, I don't know. I don't care about the math. Whatever, something <laughs> like that. So yeah, they just they kept putting it off as far as they could. Now, in my opinion. They should have done it since movie four. Yeah, I I would have enjoyed it more. I, I get why they didn't. But yeah, I, I think it just ultimately came down to like we we can't make that many movies. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just do it for seven so, to make sure we give the fans what they want at the end. And it, it's a lot more of a commitment to ask from all of the actors too. yeah, that many yeah. more movies. Yeah. That's a lot more in the studio. That's a lot mm-hmm. more money. That's I mean, every time you add another movie, that's. Yeah, a ton more money. So yeah, it, it's a huge. It, that's that's why. But they got to seven. They had made a lot of money. They go, okay, we can split this up. Give everybody maybe the satisfying conclusion they want mm-hmm. for this without short changing anything. And at some point, I feel absolutely certain that at some point this will get adapted for television. It will, hundred percent will. It one hundred percent will. And I can't wait. I hope. They do it before we die. <laughs> I would think they will. I would think they will. Uh, yeah. I would think they will. Thanks again for having me on This Film is Lit. I really appreciate it. If you are looking for a new podcast, my radio show, the KCMQ Morning Shag, has the best of podcast. You can check it out, kcmq.com, or on your favorite podcasting app. Just search the KCMQ Morning Shag Best of Podcast. We'll talk again for part two. All right. That's it for Muggle Questions. Thank you very much, Trevor. And again, happy birthday. Let's move on to general discussion. Yeah, we have a few things. Just a couple things around this. Um, Pious Thickness, our resident <laughs> Wizarding World porn star. <laughs> so in the book, they say that tell us specifically that he's under the Imperious curse. Yeah. Is he still supposed to be in the movie? I can't tell. To me, he just seems like a because like he's evil he's guy. There at at Voldemort's gathering of Death Eaters, but then like there was this brief moment I felt like where he looked. Where he, he looked, had like this weird look on his face where I was like, is he supposed to be imperious? I don't think he's supposed to be going on. The vibe I got from the movie is that because, yes, in the in the book, he's very much under the imperious curse and just doing whatever they tell him in the movie. I assume because he was at that meeting and the way he was looking because he was like furtively looking at the snake. It was like he didn't want to be there. He, to me, it struck me as like a pedigree type thing of like mm-hmm. a cowardly. He wasn't under the imperious curse. He didn't really want to be working for Voldemort, but he was too much of a coward not to. It was kind of the vibe I thought the movie was Mm -hmm. going for is what I thought was going on. But yeah, it doesn't seem to me like he's under the Imperius curse, mainly because if he was, they wouldn't need him to like sit in on the meeting. Yeah, they can just have him do whatever they want him to do without him. He doesn't need to be at the meeting to like get info. You know, like it doesn't. It's irrelevant for him. to Why? And this is the book in the movie. I. Why could they not just get out of the house and then apparate when they're taking Harry out of Privet Drive? So the idea is that he says you still got the trace on you. So we have to use non-magical means to get you out of here. And I'm like, okay, okay. Well, and they can't apparate or they can't apparate inside the house, I don't think. 
because it's yeah. under like the similar type of protections as at least I assume yeah. that it's under similar protections as like uh, Hogwarts and stuff where they can't apparate or in, a, you know, out of mm-hmm. private drive. My thought is, OK, so if he has the trace on him. And that's why you can't apparate then. But you guys used spells all the way to like Harry was using spells. I know this wasn't the plan, but ultimately Harry ended up using spells yeah. all the way up until he got to, well, the burrow in the movie, but in the in the book, it's to Tonks' parents' house. Yes. And so they, if he has the trace on him, they would still be able to track that, right? Well, like, I why mean, would- I guess, but I mean, they weren't expecting to be attacked. Right. By the Death Eaters. So I guess plans kind of change at that point. Sure. But, but I think your point still stands that, like, why don't they just walk down the street and apparate? Yeah, because, and so if the, if the idea is that apparating with the trace on you means they know where you end up, Okay. If yeah. that the if that's the idea, my question still stands in that Harry has been using the trace, or has been using was using spells the whole time they were being chased, and and basically right up until he got to the burrow slash Tonks's. So could they not have tracked him based on that? I don't I, know. I, don't know. I, I, I don't was know. just very confused by that. I I didn't never took it. I never took the trace to mean also. If that's true, the ministry could have known everywhere Dumbledore took Harry in book six because. But we've already established that the trace really makes no it's sense. Not, it's not one of the stronger points of storytelling. Yeah, I mean, here. it's I, I, you get it. Like, I understand the yeah. idea if behind you, it. If but you it's, don't think about it, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not convinced it makes a lot of sense but if you think about it. But here we are. Yeah. All right. Thinking about it. I'm going to stop thinking about it now. <laughs> uh I do love this uh in in the book Ron bursts in on Harry and Ginny making out mm-hmm. and scolds Harry for leading her on even though they broke up. Um but in the movie George is creeping on him and it's yeah. hilarious. They're kissing and he like tiptoes by and like comically tiptoes by with in the a background. toothbrush stuck in his ear yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> The hole in his head. I think it's a toothbrush. It looks like it yeah. is. He like uses it to stash his toothbrush. Yeah. In. Weird. Yeah. Um. I also kind of love Floor's wedding dress. Uh, apparently that was, I, I read this and I didn't include it in my movie notes. That was, uh, there was like talk of suing them because it's basically a wedding dress from some collection oh. from like a designer. Or, or, or maybe not a wedding dress, but a dress from some designer. Like a, a knockoff of something? And they, they basically took it and tweaked it. Yikes. At least that was what I'd read in numerous places on IMDb, Wikipedia, a couple places. Well, I so, hope it was at least a French designer. I don't know. But you can, if you want to find a dress like that, you can just look that up and find it. And it's pretty spot on. So, Aunt Muriel is basically Aunt Marge. Yeah. I don't know why I say Aunt Muriel and Aunt Marge, but it feels <laughs> right to me. So, I'm going to. <laughs> um... Uh, and I, I just love it because it's like everyone has that relative. Yeah. The Weasleys have that relative. Harry's or the Dursleys have that. Just that old, obnoxious, racist, <laughs> like just uh, awful that nobody likes. That just like but they, you have to, you have to put them. The they have to bring and... them to all the parties. And you're just like, fuck, I hope. And you just do what you can to avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has that relative. <laughs> the Weasleys have it. The Dursleys have it. Everybody. This is interesting. This is added just in this book. 
uh, when Dumbledore or when Voldemort goes to kill Grind or to interrogate Grindelwald at the mm-hmm. prison camp uh, or at the prison, the uh, the not um, the other wizard prison that exists somewhere up north. Like, yeah, I, we don't know where it is, but uh, it's not uh, Azkaban. But yeah. He's in some prison and Voldemort goes to interrogate him. He flies there and then he has they call him back at the end of the book because they're like, we have Harry Potter. So they call him back. Bellatrix calls him back and he starts flying back. And Harry says, or in the inner monologue says, Voldemort will be close enough to apparate soon. And that's a new little bit of info you know, about I apparition. Feel that's a retcon. That's a retcon. That's a retcon. To give more time. Yeah. That's 100% a retcon because... I'm pretty sure the description I would have to go back and look in like four or five or whenever we've kind of first learn about apparating mm-hmm. or like go into depth about it. It's you can apparate anywhere. Yeah. In, well, on you, the, in the world. You just have to focus on your yeah. location. There's it's no the mention of up to this. There's point. no mention of you can apparate anywhere within 600 nautical miles. Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how this <laughs> has been described before. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of how I thought because yeah. she realized well, instant travel anywhere at any times could occasionally be inconvenient. Could be inconvenient. <laughs> so we're going to take care of that one. Um, We've brought this up. Yeah, I'm gonna, I brought I'm it gonna up I'm going to ask earlier. this question again. Has anyone tried killing Voldemort like the muggle way? Like you brought up maybe like shooting him. And I'm like, I, I know he's got the horcruxes and all that. But like surely... Cutting his head off would at least slow him down. Well, surely, because you would think. I feel I, like it would be worth a try. It would be worth a shot. <laughs> it would be worth a shot. I'm, I don't even want to get into this right now because this is I just thought about this. So. When Voldemort died mm-hmm. after he tried to kill Harry, mm-hmm. the reason he didn't die is because he has a he had a horcrux, right? Yeah, because he's got Horcruxes. We okay. I just. I'm sorry. When it, when 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 you die and you have a Horcrux, mm-hmm. it's not is it? It's not like an extra life token. You don't use that Horcrux. I would think that's how it would work. No, it, they just keep you from dying. Okay. So like your soul just sort of like. So that's why he was like super duper weak and like and, basically and didn't have a like body. a ghost. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so I guess the idea is he turns into, like, a quasi-ghost kind of a thing. Well, in that case, I think you're right. If we fucking cut his head off, sure, he might not be dead because of the Horcruxes. Yeah. But it's, it took him four books to get back into a body. I'm just saying. We could go all mythology on it, chop him up into a bunch of different pieces, Spread scatter them, them to the yeah. corners of the earth. Yeah. And see, once he's dead, as long as you can handle the Death Eaters... They're the only yeah. ones trying to bring them back. Yeah. We just if, root them out. Root them out. Fucking take them down. They're fine. I mean, they're they some just, of them are tough. should have tried this the muggle way. Yeah. From the very beginning. You got the sword of Gryffindor. Just get, yeah. get close to him. Cut him in half. I don't know. I mean, it, to be fair, it's not like it's easy to get close to him and cut him in half. I mean, like, <laughs> you know what? Acknowledging okay. that. but You know what it would be like if you started chopping him in pieces, though? It'd be like the Black Knight from Monty Python and the true. Holy Grail. Not dead yet. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. That is, yep. Holy shit. Canon. <laughs> Monty Python and the whole, which is true because 
uh, sort of Arthurian legend yeah. very much inspires a lot of the Harry Potter. Yeah. Merlin exists in the Harry Potter yes. universe. The black, the dark, the Black Knight, dark, whatever, from Monty Python and the Holy Grail was an evil wizard who had Horcruxes. Obviously, Ob- it's obvious that is canon. That has to be canon. In the this is the crossover we deserve. This is the crossover we truly deserve. Holy shit, that's brilliant. All right, moving on. We oh, mentioned we this. Dobby should be wearing more clothes. Dobby yep. wearing more clothes. Um, okay, speaking of Arthurian legend. Maybe we find this out. I don't remember all of Snape's memories, but why the fuck does he put the sword at the bottom of a fucking frozen pond? What is the purpose of that? No purpose. Like, is it literally just so we can have an Excalibur yes, moment? Is that it is not? It. That is all. That is it. And it's so Ron can triumphantly, yeah, pull it from For the pond. For the aesthetic. It, it is, because, yes, Snape was there. Oh, spoilers, Trevor, if you're still listening um, for the things we said that were spoilers for the next one. Snape was there. He did the thing. He knew Harry was coming because he knew he was there. Yeah. And apparently was potentially watching this whole thing happen. Potentially. Which there's no which show if he was worried about somebody else showing up and getting the sword. He could have just if that happened, he could have just like killed that person yeah. or stunned that person could've. or whatever, whatever and got rid of them. And he could have just left it laying on the ground and Harry could have been like, oh, the sword. Sweet. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, other than yeah, the aesthetic. That's that's the reason. Um, so there are a couple little things that draw a clear correlation between, um, specifically here between Grindelwald and yeah. like Nazism. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty clear correlation between the sign of the Deathly Hollows and then swastikas. Yeah. Um, because the the Love Goods seem to regard it as uh kind of a benevolent symbol yeah um, which which the this uh swastika historically i think it was a, different but it or it was mirror image but yeah it was a, a, like a, a hindu, hindu symbol symbol of, that sort of, of thing peace i want to say something like that um, yeah. and of course every time you try to have a conversation about swastikas some asshat brings that up well it's right. actually a hindu yeah, peace okay, symbol well, yeah. yeah some things have happened since then yeah. <laughs> um but i it, but then um crumb interprets that symbol as being a very hateful yeah he, he sees that, it as a swastika yeah. like a nazi yeah. swastika um so I, I thought that was an interesting way to like make that correlation yeah. yeah i agree um and there's also the mention of nurmengard yeah which um hermione says is a prison that grindelwald built to hold his enemies it is um, very clearly a death camp yeah very or, um, clearly like concentration camp. i mean nurmengard that's yeah Basically Nuremberg. Nuremberg, yeah. <laughs> Which was that a camp? No. No, that was that was um, the where the city where they had the trials. Yes, after. that was but, the city where they had the trials. But yeah, there's but a there's, bunch of camps that had similar names. Yeah. yeah, it's very Germany. It's very Germanic n- sounding. Nazi sounding. <laughs> Nazi sounding. Yeah. This isn't a plot hole. I, I thought it was. I brought this up. I wrote this note down. I noticed it, and then I did a little bit of digging on it, yeah. and I was like, "It's it it's feels, a plot hole in the movie." It feels plot hole. Well, it's not in the movie because not. Yeah, it kind of is, but it feels like a plot hole that you can easily explain away. Yeah. So in the book, and again, the movie does this by not having Hermione say this, right, in the cafe scene. But in the book, uh, in the cafe scene where they ob- obliviate the memory of the Death Eaters that attacked them, they say Hermione do it, and she goes, uh, "I've never done a memory charm before." Yeah. I've never done she it says, before. She says, I've never done a memory charm before, but I know the theory. Right. And then she does it. But we have established earlier in the book that she changed the memory of yes. her parents. 
And now the sort of uh, kind of retconny answer to this is that she's never, quote unquote, obliviated somebody's right. memory so before. She did a, a different a, memory spell. The idea her parents. that she like implanted memories and changed the memories of her parents, similar to like maybe what uh, Slughorn did mm-hmm. with the memory that he kind of messed with in mm-hmm. book six. And so it's slightly different. And so when she says she's never done it before, she means she hasn't done this type of memory. It feels a little bit like a plot hole. It's kind of like painting over. It feels over. a little plot holy. Yeah. I think when you not have even to... plot holy. It's just like an oversight. It's not yes. a plot hole. Just as like no, yeah, an oversight by um, the it's author. It's a continuity error. Yes, a continuity error. A better way to yeah. Um, and it, 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 you can explain it away, but I think when you have to explain it away, yeah, um, it very very clearly a publication. That's yeah, pretty clearly a continuity error. Yeah. I had this thought partway through reading this book. I wonder why Dumbledore wasn't in Animagus. Yeah. Because it, he was like super powerful and super good at transfiguration. Yeah. So you would think that would be something he would do. Yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe he was, and we'll just never know because he didn't tell Harry Jack shit. It's true. Didn't tell him anything. Yeah. Ever. So for all we know, he could have been an Animagus. Yeah. If he was, he would have been a Phoenix. Maybe he was. Maybe the phoenix that came down into the Chamber of Secrets wasn't Fox. It was actually Dumbledore (laughs) as an animagus. Headcanon. I mean, there's no reason for that because it could have just been Fox. Because clearly Fox also exists. But (laughs) still, I mean, if he was going to be any animagus, he would be a phoenix, I feel like. Which I don't know if you can be an animagus of a magical creature. Never explored yeah, I don't know. That. We they don't, always we don't have any precedent for like, that. They're, they're always, always muggle creatures. Yeah, just regular <laughs> old animals. Yeah. I saw this in my... I noticed this, but I, and I almost made a note, but I didn't, because I figured you'd catch it. Yeah, there's a, a, a witch at the ministry named Wakanda. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's just her name, Wakanda. <laughs> there you go. That's it for general discussion of... Final verdict. Should we have final verdicted on part two? We probably should. should. We, have waited? we should wait. We'll wait. Part one of the book is better. Uh, I will say, I'll caveat this by saying this is up there with the closest adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a strong adaptation. Really strong. I think it captured, uh, it lost a little bit of theme here and there with sort of the more important things about with, with the house elves specifically, mm-hmm. which is really important, um, which again, the whole series has kind of lost that. But the characterizations are really strong. The The scenes, a lot of them translate almost like one for one from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's just a really good adaptation. Um, I'm not sure if it's as good for people who haven't read the book. But for having read the book, it's a very good adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's it, we'll we'll hold our withhold our verdict for part two, technically, but <laughs> it's going to be the fucking same thing. So. That's going to do it for this episode of This Film is Lit. Hey, three hours. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so join us next week. Yes. For our grand finale. The grand finale of Harry Potter series. We're doing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Until then, if you can send us a review, write us a review. Don't send it to us. We don't <laughs> care. I mean, we do, but write it on the things. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you download a podcast, that would be fantastic. Also, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, Twitter. Uh, we have a subreddit, which I haven't posted in a while, but I will. What are we? What's the next thing we're doing after Harry Potter? Just in case anybody doesn't care about Harry Potter. Um, Why are you here still? But. <laughs> after next week's episode on part two, we are going to do our pre-Christmas 
Christmas episode. And what's the Christmas episode? Do you know? Well, I know both of them, but are you asking me what the pre-Christmas episode no. is? Well, yeah, what's what the, the pre-Christmas episode? The pre-Christmas episode is Night at the Museum. Ah, there you go. It snows in that movie. It does, so it so counts. So it counts. So it's it counts. Christmas-y. There you go. So Night at the Museum will be our one after we wrap up Harry Potter. So look forward to that if you're if you're done with Harry Potter. I'm not. I'm just in love. But anyways, <laughs> until then, guys, gals, not Ben, everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome.